off the ball. I don't think Springboks are in crisis because you would hate for a team that is so phenomenally good a year out from the World Cup to be world number one and then to go out in the quarterfinals. Yes, yeah, Stephen, we, we need to subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven Friday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. Adrian, with you until 10 this morning. Ashling, how are you getting on? Morning, Adrian. All good now. How are you? Good. Kathleen, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? All good. Packed in stacks to you this morning. Loads uh, to come between now and 10 this morning. It's a um, veritable feast of football, particularly um, on the show this morning. And a few other bits and pieces thrown in as well. And like picking across the uh, newspapers this morning, needless to say, across the front pages, because like you've got stuff like the Irish Daily Mirror and they tend to carry, obviously, a lot of the UK stories and that's kind of repeated um, across most of the papers this morning and reflected as well to be fair in Irish only papers like the Independent and the Times and that kind of stuff as well and sure why wouldn't it be obviously given the enormity of it on a global stage um, we're talking of course about the passing of the Queen yesterday and the impact on sport is going to be felt um, just how much is kind of the thing that we're sort of waiting to see uh, we believe that there'll be some sort of announcements maybe over the course of the morning maybe even in relation to the Premier League this weekend potentially knock on with uh, Europe next week and I'm not really sure actually where I'm at on the whole thing um, selfishly I'm going to miss the football um, if it gets pulled that's sort of my main starting point um, and I, my main reaction when the, the idea was first um, put out there yesterday that maybe uh, sport gets canned for the weekend or beyond was like really was there is there a need could we not just go ahead and like don't we use sport all the time as this sort of public showing of respect for various things so couldn't we just bash away like they did last night and I know that UEFA were uh, pressing hard that that game those games went ahead last night they weren't really um hanging around for any kind of uh, postponement uh, they were pretty gung-ho but like there was a great show of respect obviously before the game there was uh, whatever they call it now a moment a moment of silence whatever that is um, and the armbands and all that stuff so like we could have we could have bashed ahead and that so my stronger leaning is towards could we not just go ahead and just play all the sport and and do whatever we need to on that front like there's something nice and quaint and old-fashioned about the idea of pulling the sport for the weekend or maybe beyond but mostly, could we not just go ahead and play it? Yeah, I, I think that is my feeling as well. Um, and yeah, maybe a bit selfishly, you know, also. But you don't know where then, the, how the games will be played. Like if it's this weekend, like it's maybe 10 days now until the, the Queen is buried. So you don't know how, how it'll pan out. So maybe on the day, which is I think next Sunday, is that a day that you have um, all the games pulled then um, and play them until then and you have the moment silence you have the armband you know you show your respect that way um, but yeah I, I'm not sure what way um, it should work out but uh, yeah I think just pulling sport all together it's, a, it's an enjoyment thing you know it's uh, the Queen herself you know she was massive into horse racing and you know she, she loved her sport so you know mm. I, you know it's a, a way to en- enjoy it and to show your respect rather than not having those moments to show your respect in a way you're not, not having those moments silence not having um, you know the armbands it's a way of actually you know I suppose displaying it in, in a nice way and a way that people can enjoy it because for a lot of people you know the, the Queen's passing will affect them quite a lot in England so um, yeah I, I do think having sport 
should only be but a positive thing. Mm. So for me, um, yeah, I don't really see uh, the reason to pull the sports completely. Um, now, maybe on Sunday when it's the the day that um, she's being put to rest, well, maybe that's the day. Yeah, that would make sense. Like, or a couple of days around that. And like, look, I am conscious as well, Kathleen, that we're not living in the UK. And so it's hard to... Um, not currently living in the UK, Kathleen, I might say, in your, uh, in your instance. Um, I, it's, it's hard for us then to fully sort of have a finger on the pulse of exactly the mood of a nation. But like it is, the monarchy in the UK does tend to be conflicted anyway. And I'm assuming that, they'll, that whatever your allegiances are in that way, whether you're a royalist or not, will probably dictate some of your opinion around this. But um, So I am conscious of that when we make those comments. But um, I, like I get it. But also, can we just go ahead and play some matches yeah well I feel bad in the sense that obviously it's bad that the Queen has passed and I feel sorry for anyone who like feels about it but also with like say the WSL or something they were supposed to hold games in Stamford Bridge and some of the big stadiums this weekend and they can't do that now and I think that it's a bit like Ashling was saying like if you are going to mark someone why not mark them in a act of celebration and an act of actually going out and doing things and I think if you look at the Queen's legacy she was very much the sort of person who said you know go out and do things live your life mm. actually participate and the idea of stopping it all I don't know if that's the sort of thing that she would have subscribed to um, I was over living in London for the Jubilee and it was absolute madness for the two weeks in and around the actual event so I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for the next week while people are mourning and while people are going through the whole process she was there for so long but like you said it'd be kind of nice to have sport there to have it as a distraction and also just to have those acts of celebration have those moments where you're commemorating her and not just having empty space which is kind of what it feels like it's going to be like for the next 10 days or so until she's actually buried Mm. And there's like obviously there's a protocol around all this stuff that like dictates and everybody's read the Guardian article at this point with like the uh, nuts and bolts of exactly. Most read article on the Guardian yesterday. Was it really yeah. right? Um, I'd seen it floating around a while and never really got the motivation to read it. I have to say until yesterday. And yeah, I'd like it. I don't know. Um, we we will see how all that pans out. It, in the most Irish way of all time, we uh, might be set to benefit from some uh, European games next week if if this all goes the way it looks as if it's going to at the minute. If the UK was to enter that period of morning, morning then they would um, be obliged to not host games. And uh, it's reported on some of the back pages this morning um, that possibly uh, we can receive, yeah, at the Aviva, uh, Dublin an option for Euro clashes uh, says Neil Reardon in the Sun that uh, some of the games might end up coming over here like I mean I wouldn't be averse to going to see United Dortmund next week I'm not going to lie that would be uh, that landing into my lap I'd be alright with that Could oh, we actually yeah. pull it together in the time though like it's such a short amount of time to actually be able to prep the city or even just in terms of fans travelling or actually getting the stadium ready or the surroundings of the stadium Yeah there's a lot of logistics in that but I suppose at the same time they probably just uh, yeah they want to get the games played wouldn't mm. it like they probably would make sure that they could get it done I think UEFA like when it comes to it have ways and means don't yeah, they? Isn't no, that, like, big time of all the organisations we're talking about um, so look we'd see and we've loads of people coming on over the course of the morning to talk about 
football last night. Uh, looking ahead to, I mean, I'm going to say looking ahead to the weekend. Who knows what that looks like? And uh, we'll get a bit of a sense of what the atmosphere was like at the various grounds as well. Um, last night, uh, Dominic Fifield and Daniel Harris amongst those coming on to talk to us. There was also some pretty ugly scenes um, in Tala last night as uh, Shamrock Rovers played your garden um, in the Conference League. And uh, there's a clip going around on uh, social media with some of the fans uh, singing some pretty derogatory and distasteful stuff in a way that we'd be like outraged if it was uh, some other team um, uh, singing, a, singing it about somebody in this country. It was... Um, it's just not pretty. It's just not the sort of stuff. There's a bit of group think about it and suddenly everybody's singing it and it's just... It's bad, bad luck for Ireland this morning. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't matter what your views are of the Queen. There's many people that... You know, don't agree. They're not royalists. They don't agree with the monarchy, but that's fine. Everybody has their opinions, but to to do something like that, um, you know, is it's just so wrong, and it shouldn't be brought into sport. I hate when that sort of thing is brought into sport. It's, it's not the reason why we we love sport. It's not the reason a lot of us follow sport. Um, you know, it, it's yeah. It, it was just it was sad to see, and it was sad to see that it was it was here at home. Um, but yeah, I know everybody has different views, but uh, that is just—it's just not on in my view. I, I, it was just, it's just disgusting to, to hear those chants yesterday. Yeah, um, and I'm sure there'll be more fallout out of it. Uh, Gavin Cooney, the 42, was at uh, Tal Stadium last night, so we'll get his thoughts on it um, and exactly how that played out within the ground as well. A little bit later in the show, plenty of um, comments coming in as well. Obviously, in relation to this, uh, most of them you can't read out because people get sort of very carried away one side or the other but um, there is that sort of sense of um, we're going to be missing games for a while and also even in a World Cup year Kathleen that's if you look at it on that level in terms of the squeeze on fixtures this is uh, going to be very very tricky for organisers yeah it's going to be tight and you don't really know where they're actually going to be able to fit it back in and I always feel bad talking about fixtures in that sort of sense like even when I said earlier about the fact that Chelsea won't be able to play at Stamford Bridge this weekend if the fixtures are cancelled it probably pales in comparison to what a lot of people are feeling or what a lot of people are going through and it's a bit like we were saying for next week you make these fixtures work when you want to make them work but it's already such a stuffed season that I don't actually know you know it could get to the end where they I, I imagine it won't but you wouldn't be surprised if they did just say it was a bye weekend or something and just mm. kind of gave everyone the same amount of points rather than trying to fit it into the rest of the year because I mean between the World Cup and Champions League and all the Europe fixtures there isn't a whole lot of time to actually put on extra games yeah yeah, well, that will be one of the challenges that comes uh, comes down the track. And I see Sean Ingle of the Guardian as well. Summing it up nicely in the last few minutes, he says several UK sports are meeting this morning to discuss whether to play this weekend. It also makes the point that the Great North run uh, is due to take place, which raises millions for charity. And asking the question whether people would prefer to uh, sport carry on with the two-minute silence and flags lowered as a mark of respect or no sport next week. I kind of get from what he's saying there the way he's uh, the way he's leaning, and I'm probably kind of with that, but with the caveat that like you know we're not there and uh, so it is difficult to say Mark Dunning has been in contact and morning to you Mark he says speaking selfishly I think they should play the games match going fans have already made travel accommodation arrangements and yes I'm including myself amongst those um, who have made arrangements there is that factor as well of course there'll be so many people here who've got flights yeah. booked and tickets booked they'll be leaving this morning probably to go to a game I'm at the weekend wondering if it's going to happen that's right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so um, people are in a tricky position mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that people have um but loads of tickets for, um, and you know, my research tells me it starts tonight. Ashling is Gareth Brooks <laughs> at Crow Park. Um, I was really taken, I have to say, by one of the stories in one of the papers this morning about, uh, I think it was in the Mur, um, 
Gareth Brooks and uh, how he's going to dance through the rain he says yeah. um, it's, yeah, there's a hurricane on the way and he's going to dance through the rain there's, there's a hurricane Hurricane Danielle is uh, is winging its way towards Ireland at the minute and didn't it's even know to, that yeah exactly see yeah. it's going to the tail end of it I think look it might be who knows what happened uh, how it ends up by the time it hits these shores but um, he said that you know he's waited for so long for this thing and uh, he said now I hear there are hurricanes coming but I don't care I'm going to dance in the rain if I have to <laughs> In, like, the most Gareth Brooks comment of all time, I mean, I think if there's a hurricane winging its way to Ireland, whether Gareth dances his way through the rain or not is It'd kind of be the perfect end of the story, wouldn't it? With the way everything has gone over the last few <laughs> yeah, years. That's what he's like, saying. Yeah. Finally, he gets here and there's a hurricane that, I don't know, cancels it or makes the whole thing a bit. But I love, I love the way he's like, well, how, what am I going to do when the hurricane hits? I mean, what about the 80,000 people that are in the, in, you know, yeah, these like 150 foot high staging and speakers and all this, like, danger to quip, dangerous equipment flying around? But like, what's Gareth going to do? That's the big question. And you're one of the 80,000 that's going to be there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You're not, obviously. If you're, uh, no. No. And I, ah, geez. Like, I'd say it'll be a great night. And yeah, yeah. Like, people have waited so long for it. But it uh, wouldn't be my number one choice in music now. But I'm sure he puts on a great show. He said that he lost something like three stone in order to get ready for All this. right. Yeah. So they're in for a good show. I was out yeah. in Drumcondra the other night and I saw the like lights going on in Crow Park and they're obviously practicing. You could actually hear him warming up and stuff. And I was oh, like, right. you didn't even need a ticket. You could just kind of be going up the main street in Drumcondra and you'd hear the whole thing. <laughs> um, yeah, look, at, I don't know. The, somebody was making the point here a couple of weeks ago that, you know, if they got a free ticket, they'd go. Mm. I'm sorry, that can't be. Adrian's looking for free tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hurricane for Gareth Brooks, every cloud, I suppose, uh, says uh, Danny Mac here. And Lade Larry says about uh, the passing of the Queen that she was 70 years on the throne. I think one weekend off as a mark of respect won't hurt anyone, just to show that there is that uh, duality of opinion, I guess, out there. Um, uh, coming up at a quarter to eight this morning, and Ashing, you're just back from Slovakia, just off the plane yourself. Yes, yeah. It was it, brilliant. Yeah, lovely city. I don't know if you have ever been over to Bratislava before, no. but uh, yeah, really nice city, really quaint city, sort of a smaller version of Prague is the way that okay. I would describe it. Yeah, really nice. Um, and yeah, obviously, uh, Ireland getting the result there, getting the win. Um, so it was brilliant. I suppose overall, just reporting on it, there was a few probably surprising factors from reporting there. Um, on the day before the game, you know, they always have a press conference with each management mm. and we'd sit with maybe a player as well ahead of the game. And we actually hadn't heard anything about the Slovakia press conference when it was going to be. So we had reached out to the Irish uh, press officer, Gareth, and he said, you know, oh, there isn't any. And we were like, that that's strange. No, there, there's always one before the game, and he said, "Oh well, I can I can say it to them." So he actually reached out to them and said, "You know, are you having a press conference? Do you want to have one?" And they said, "Oh, we just don't really see the need. We don't normally have one," hmm. and that was because they don't really have much press attending the press conferences so uh, we said no that we'd head along and now for the Irish to go to the press conference there was a other Irish journalist over as well there was maybe 35 minutes in the difference going one way and then on to the Irish one so you know we had quite a bit of travel in terms of going 35 minutes that way then another 35 minutes the opposite way um, but we wanted that's why we're there we wanted yeah. to, to go to the press conference and you know they were quite surprised when we walked in you know they were like how many of you are there and will there be more at the game and 
I was wondering, what do they mean? Do they want us here? I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was surprised what was happening, but they were actually just genuinely surprised that there was this many journalists over here to cover the game. Um, and then when the game itself, there was one man sitting beside me that wasn't in the, the Irish contingency and he was actually from FIFA. I thought he was the one Slovakian journalist that was there covering the game, but there actually wasn't. Now, I, I didn't see any. I said it to some of the journalists afterwards. I was like, was there any Slovakian journalists here? He said, no, there there wasn't one. So, yeah, co- quite even bizarre. At the game. Not even at the game. It's desperate. Desperate. It was so bizarre and it was just sad. It was very sad. Like, I asked um, the Slovakian manager, Peter upon about the, the amount of people that are going to attend today is there going to be um, much supporters, fans attending and he sort of smiled before he answered and was just like just what there normally is yeah, and I many. just thought yes yeah, so we all just looked at each other and we're like okay and the attendance in the end was 490 so uh, yeah. well if it's not going to get the press Hello. coverage sure, that's family and friends like, how are you it? meant that's... to build this game I just was so so shocked I was like how are you going to get the Slovakian people to come out and watch the game to, to support these women in like a brilliant team they just haven't had that big win yet but they're a really great team but so. especially for a game that they probably could have got something out of yeah. as well it's not like mm-hmm. we went into that as absolute fa- like we should have been absolute favourites but from the way we had performed against them before they probably could have got a win and with the way we played they definitely could have got a win we were just quite lucky with the way it ended up yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so it was. It was quite shocking that there there wasn't anyone like everyone else around the grounds. Lovely, like mm. really accommodating. Couldn't have made us, uh, you know, more friendly and like accommodating to all of us. Like they were shocked we were still there so late after the game. They kept coming in and out of the press room, <laughs> being like, "Are you finished yet?" <laughs> you know. But uh, they obviously don't always have this many journalists. But yeah, it, it was sad to see. But um, yeah, I just don't understand how you're going to build the game it's if crazy. you don't put yeah. it in and the papers keep, and the radio. Even when things were bad here, not that long ago, there was at least some press turning up to cover the thing. Yeah, but also if you look at like when we actually properly qualified after that game in Slovakia, like the papers the next day, there was actually very little coverage of. The, and I know we kind of knew we were already qualifying, but it was still a big deal. Like that was the official moment, and I imagine if it was Stephen Kenny and the lads qualifying for that sort of level, you would like Emma, one of our producers here. We, we were joking that there'd be like a seventy-two page pullout, and you'd have posters of all the lads. But like, it even struggled to make some of the back pages the next morning. And I know we can say other places it is sad that people didn't turn up, but I do still think we're trying to bridge the gap here slightly as well. I kind of hoped that more of the papers would have put a bit more effort into what they were reporting on about it. And like, I know the draws today and that'll actually show where we're going and who we have to beat to make it to the World Cup. But it was a big moment in Irish football history and I kind of wish that a bit more was put into it on that side of things. Yeah, I, there, always a bit of a, a prod to tell everybody to give it more coverage and better coverage is never mm. a bad thing. And it, you're right about that. Then was, did United play that day and that seemed to take up some of the bigger space and some of the back pages. I mean, just in the context of Slovakia, I think most of those pages who even squeezed it a bit on the back pages had some sort of something on the front page of the paper. They had like some sort of a section saying something to do with Koi gig. So like, look, there's a road to travel. And as I said, they definitely need a bit of a prod, but it just feels like something from the dark ages if they can't. Like what hope did the team have? if they can't get a yeah, single journalist one. to turn up to, no. the, to the game it's pretty yeah. desperate and there was quite a big Irish um, 
contingency there, like yeah. uh, fans wise. Um, the Slovak Shamrocks GA club I had met over there, they all arrived in their jersey. So we had actually quite a big support. Probably you know? more Irish than yeah. Slovakian, was there? Uh, it definitely was close because yeah. obviously they were sitting on uh, two sides and yeah, the, the Irish side was fairly full. So um, yeah, the, the, and they were maybe travelling fans. There was some that travelled, there were some expats obviously they're living over there. Um, yeah, so there probably was probably even amount of uh, supporters which is surprising in your in your home country not to have more um, Isolt was in touch and good morning to you Isolt she says for events like boxing in London football across the UK people have incurred big costs to travel etc but put in context if our head of state died in office all GEA would be cancelled too and also it's once in a 70 year event and they were quick to take the uh, Jubilee Day off that is fair enough that is fair enough and that's the point about like not wanting to entirely miss the tone of the thing just because we're not there we're not fully off air with exactly um, how that's playing out um, and yeah, so that's that. And uh, the the um, draw at half past twelve today that we need to mention as well, Kathleen. We don't want to sort of like fully go through the rigors again of exactly what's going to happen here. But, I love like, talking about it. I've done it so much. This I do week. too. It's but my favorite it's, thing. I also can't wait for the draw just to be done, and then we can actually have something to talk about. Yeah, no, I'm very much the same. I'm intrigued to see who we get and. It was very easy earlier in the week to maybe get a little bit wrapped up in the fact we'd even made a playoff or that there was the potential of going to the World Cup. It did feel like we were actually heading to the tournament. And I don't mind that either. Like, I think you're, you see the scenes with like the likes of Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan and the absolute relief. And you're allowed to enjoy it for the time it is. But today will be the real show of what we can actually do over the next couple of weeks or if it even goes into the new year I think it probably will at the end of the day I feel like we're probably going to be in the Inter-Confederation Cup but I think we can get out of that so hopefully we'll all either be down in Australia or we'll be waking up very very early in the morning to watch them at their first ever tournament Who would you like to get? Uh, I actually think one of the like Celtic teams like maybe Scotland or Wales or something would be good just because we know them mm-hmm. and we know the players a lot better like I, I would try to avoid in Australia even someone like Portugal I know they're quite low ranked but they were so impressive during the Euros and they play a very different type of football to what we're used to you know it's very technical it's quick passing it's one touch and I think, especially in this qualifying campaign, we've got very used to some of the more physical teams, the teams that kind of like dominate over the ball. And I don't know how we would face up against a team like that. Um, I think at the end of the day, we probably should be able to take them. But I would rather someone that we actually know the measure of than a team like that. Yeah, half 12, we'll have something concrete to talk about and we won't have to keep speculating. I mm. absolutely can't wait for that. And we, a quick mention as well, and for, for more of this, see the Koi Gig pod, but um, WSL obviously back this weekend. The uh, Sorry, due to be back this weekend. Um, and we don't know uh, exactly where all of that is at, of course, but um, the overriding thought, Kathleen, with the transfer window shut and Chelsea having farmed out players, they're basically supporting their the rest of the teams with the amount number of players that they've uh, farmed out on loan but uh, hard to see anybody getting close to them. I think so, yeah. I think Chelsea are going to dominate once again. Uh, even look at, like, they brought in Kadisha Buchanan at the start of the transfer window. I actually totally forgot that transfer had even happened, and she's one of the best defenders in the world. And this is the thing about Chelsea, they're doing something very similar to Barcelona, which is going to make the Champions League really interesting this year, in that they're bringing in a lot of experience so that they can win that Champions League, because they've dominated domestically, but whenever they go to Europe, they've really struggled. So I think it's going to be an interesting 
battle between the two of them. You look at teams like Man City, they've lost their entire midfield. I mean, Stanway, Walsh, Weir have all left. You've also lost Lucy Bronze there. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to compete in the same way that they have, so it gives an opportunity for the likes of, say, United, Tottenham, maybe even Liverpool, who've just come up from the Championship, have a very big Irish contingent there, but have been very impressive in general to maybe do something and get that Champions League spot. So it'll be an, it's actually probably set up to be quite an interesting season, even if Chelsea are the favourites. Um, and I think Gareth Taylor, who is with City, might be doing a bit of a Tuchel after a couple of weeks. The fans wow. are very much not happy with him. Whenever the Walsh or transfer was announced the other day, Literally every single comment on Twitter underneath the tweet was Taylor out, Taylor out, Taylor out. And it's kind of nice to see because like, you don't normally get that so much in women's football. But people were very much interested in it and very much wondering why you would lose your entire midfield and all your most experienced players in one transfer window and not really bring anyone in. Mm, yeah, there has been. I saw uh, Sue Smith talking about it during the week about the exodus and um, maybe some of the players they brought in, maybe they could sustain something. But yeah, I think the overriding thought, as you say, seems to be that uh, Chelsea can't be caught. We'll see as it uh, as it pans out. Uh, thanks for the minute for that, Kathleen. We've uh, loads to come on the show this morning. Here's a bit of a sense of what's happening to you now. And 10 uh, for you this morning with Gavin Cooney standing by the 42. We're going to pick through events in Tala last night. Uh, Daniel Harris uh, will talk to us about Manchester United's uh, fairly underwhelming opening game in Europe yesterday evening as well with sports pages around about half past eight Alan Quinlan is live in studio at uh, 10 to 9 this morning is that what that says um, slightly slipped off my screen there 10 to 9 this morning Alan Quinlan will uh, pick through his best 15 that he's ever played against uh, and a couple of other talking points to talk to him as well Dominic Fifield of The Athletic will uh, talk about Chelsea primarily maybe a few other bits and pieces as well and then Billy Dardis from the show uh, last night so do get in contact with us this morning wherever it is you are at very good morning to you it's coming up on 8 o'clock uh, do keep your comments coming into us I want to remind you as well of course the Premier League it says here is back the Premier League is close to getting uh, back and we've teamed up one of Europe's largest sports events ticketing and hospitality companies Champions Travel to give you the opportunity to win a €250 Champions Travel voucher each day this week and they can be used in Premier League match trips as well as a host of other sporting events daily winners will be entered into our grand prize draw where one lucky winner will win a trip from a selection of Premier League games with flights and two nights accommodation included so great prizes uh, all told and to enter you can just tell us who this legendary Liverpool winger is telling us how he spends his ideal Night in. 7 o'clock MNL, 8 o'clock EastEnders, 8.30 if Holby City's not on. Which Let's hear it again. 7 o'clock MNL, 8 o'clock EastEnders, 8.30 if Holby City's not on. Which you can uh, tweet us your guests on our main Twitter account, at Off The Ball, and uh, we will uh, give that a spin for you again a little bit later on, where you can... Uh, I mean, um, we're live in studio next it's coming up at 8 o'clock live in studio next with the 42's uh, Gavin Cooney reflecting on Charmer Grover's impressive draw last night in the Europa Conference League first of all here's our own Ashling chatting with Megan Campbell in Slovakia after Ireland's uh, win during the week back after this Megan congratulations how are you feeling you're trying to keep that smile off your face there it's not an easy thing to do after knowing that you're qualified for a World Cup playoff yeah it's massive for us uh, just very grateful humbled yeah, to be back in a green jersey slash orange jersey again has been incredible for me and um, yeah, just unbelievable achievement what we've done tonight. We're one step further, we're not there yet but um, we'll keep our feet firmly on the ground and looking forward to October. 
It wasn't an easy battle out there tonight. No, they're definitely a very physical side. I think you've seen that towards the end. They got um, more and more physical, trying to get us caught up in their game plan. And I think we did well to stay away from that and you know compete when we needed to compete, but also be very sensible in that. What do you think the difference is over the last uh, year or two that? when things get tough you know it doesn't phase you you stick to the game plan yeah definitely I think the professionalism probably in the level that more and more players have gone to and um, with their club football I think that just shows then the development the maturity that you need at a professional level and then when you take that into international level you're going to come up against those tough opponents and sometimes you have to be you know level-headed and not get caught up in it um, I think we did well with that tonight oh absolutely and I have to ask you about your throw-ins I'm sure everybody asks you non-stop but where did you get this skill? Can you remember where it started for you or was it something you were just always good at or was it something that somebody taught to you? Uh, literally just something I've always been able to do. I think playing with Boyne Rovers back in Drogheda when I was a kid with the boys and it was probably longer than the rest of the lads and they were like, do that again, Meg. And I think just as I grew, it's gone longer and yeah, it's a nice asset to have. I'm not sure my back will be too happy about it when I'm older, but it's currently <laughs> helping us, so I'll take everything as I can. Yeah, the Slovakian manager Peter had talked about it in the press conference yesterday and he said that he knew all about you, uh, that he was showing videos to the rest of the, the coaches and I think it was here in 2017. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah your two throw-ins got the two goals for Ireland. Do you remember it well? Yeah, definitely. It was a, a massive occasion for us, obviously, back then as well. And thankfully we came here and we got the win again. Um, and that was yeah important no matter how it goes in the net. We just needed the ball to go in the net and thankfully it, it did that tonight with Denise Sullivan. And the way you train, I know you train a little bit different to the, to the squad. Vera has told us about it before. So what is that like? Do you do completely separate training? No, definitely not. I do train and, and I, I train well with the team when called upon and when that's in my schedule to do so. Um, I think I have probably a little bit more off feet than majority of the other girls just due to my knees um, and the way that I've gone with obviously previous injuries. So I think right now it's about managing my body, getting myself in the best position and the fittest position that I can to be then available for selection. And I'm really grateful for both Liverpool and uh, the Irish squad for being able to come together and agree to that and you know get me in the best position because if it wasn't for the two of them, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, it's absolutely working. And how proud are you now to be in a, a playoff for the World Cup? You know, a bye in the first round, is it stuff of dreams? It's massive, I think. If you had said this to us at the start of the campaign, if you had said that I would be even playing in this competition again, it would have been, uh, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But um, yeah, to play in this is incredible, to play for your country and obviously to, to put us one step closer to that ultimate goal of the World Cup is, we're nearly there, but I think we're keeping ourselves, like I said, feet on the ground, looking forward to the next game and one more cup final. And, and then we're there hopefully they don't make it easy do they oh they definitely don't I'm like <laughs> the best teams are in Europe and you make it harder for Europe teams to get there but yeah. you know at this stage I think we'll take anyone going into that playoff game because I, I have full full trust in um, knowing that the girls are able to take on anybody going into that because you know you don't mess with the Irish yeah, nice note to leave it on there Liverpool's Megan Campbell plenty more reaction up on our YouTube page Gavin Cooney of the 42 is with us good morning Gavin morning morning how are you very good you were in Tala last night I was indeed, yeah. Good Enjoy, stuff. Enjoyable night out. No goals, but enjoyable nonetheless. Enjoyable. I watched it. We'll talk about the football in a second, but we do want to mention the um, derogatory, distasteful comments, obviously, the uh, chants that were emerging uh, from... I was watching the game on TV last night and it just struck me how amazing the atmosphere was. Mm. And then I saw that clip this morning and it really just sort of yes, bit of an exhale about the whole thing and mm. just so bloody needless. Yeah, now I have to say... I didn't hear them. I didn't hear the chance. The atmosphere was really good. The Eurogardens fans were really loud, along with the Rovers fans. Mm. Um, I didn't hear those chants by Queen Elizabeth, I have to say. Um, but obviously, 
uh, found them on my phone that evening. You know, I mean, there seems to be Irish Twitter was found last night. You know, all of the descendants of the oppressed peoples across the world were looking for instruments of, uh, to fight back. And one of them seems to be Irish Twitter. And these Rovers fans singing at Tallis Stadium mm. uh, became uh, became one of their more viral clips. But uh, yeah, not... Uh, not great, but... Uh, There'll be some sort of a statement, I presume, from Shamrock Rovers later on saying oh, we don't endorse this and then that'll probably be the end of it. Probably, yeah. Look, as I said, it was... It, I didn't hear them. They certainly weren't a topic of conversation among any of the press guys after the game. Didn't mm-hmm. come up with the press conference afterwards, but... Uh, um, yeah, but obviously uh, they weren't very loud and didn't represent everyone on the ground, but obviously it doesn't take too many. Uh, and then the amplifying power of social media. So there's millions of views on on, uh, on that tweet. Yeah, I think the like the people that were around it, there was enough voices in it that was like, I think maybe one fella who was sort of half, you could half see his face. Like you just... You'd be embarrassed, I mean, to say the least, um, if you're involved in that and then you wake up this morning because a bit of group think, I think, sets in and you don't want to be making excuses for it. If it was another club singing something about an Irish head of state or there was something going on, we'd be absolutely outraged about it this morning. So there's absolutely no excuses for it. But you just hope that the people that are involved wake up at least embarrassed by whatever went on last night. yeah. It was, it and just the f- not a good fact look. that you were there, Gavin, you didn't actually hear it, so it's mm. been amplified so much now online to yeah. make it maybe look like it was a wider thing at the game when that wasn't the case. Yeah, completely. But then, like that, doesn't absorb yeah, the responsibility not. from no, the no, people no. who did sing it. So, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, my condemnation wasn't really strong there, and whereas yours was. So I would echo yours. No, really, I look at uh, it. I think it's uh, it's you know it's 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 it's, it's horrible. Like. Mm. Yeah, I think we're on the same page on on the football side. If it wasn't uh, obvious before this, looking at the game last night this is a perfect level in in a lot of ways for a League of Ireland team they like put it up to your garden last night played loads of football looked really impressive and ultimately came really close to getting all three points Stephen Bradley was really was, said he was frustrated not to win the game and mm. um, said that he felt that Rovers had the better chances and deserved to win I think that they I think a draw was probably a fair result Rovers could could have won it but it's pretty evenly matched you know your guidance came out at a, a really good pace um, and really high tempo and Rovers initially struggled with it but they got into the game um, I think Chris McCann was really good in midfield for Rovers during that uh, first half in terms of just getting on the ball and calming things down and then Rovers came out were by far the better side for the first maybe 20-25 minutes of the second half mm. your guidance coach described that period as a disaster for them which I thought right. was a little bit OTT and he uh, reacted by bringing on almost the entirety of Quadruple sub, yeah. you know. I mean, no one is really interested in the plight of journalists, but seven subs in one <laughs> go is, is, is a lot for our match reports. But uh, uh, but in fairness, he wasn't taken away from Rovers either. He said, "Look, we made mistakes, but they forced us into it." And he said, "Look, a point at, at this stadium isn't a bad result," which is a compliment to Rovers. Yeah. Um, and their home record's so good; like they'd won all of their. European home games this season so far beat Ludogorets who beat um, who beat Trabzons, uh, sorry who beat Roma last night and it beat uh, Ferenc Farash who beat Trabzonspor in both those th- games in the Europa League so asked Lee Grace like, did you feel like that was a step up out there last night he said no it wasn't a step up from Ludogorets and Ferenc Farash so we've seen that they can hold their own in, in these games and, and they certainly did last night did they underestimate Rovers going into the game? If they had that many changes, did they maybe start Don't know. out with... It's a good question. He did rotate, like he yeah. played a second-choice goalkeeper. He he picked a more attacking team than I think anyone was expecting, the Swedish journalists were expecting. Mm-hmm. Rasmus Schuller is a Finnish international. He played against Ireland in the Nations League uh, as a substitute in 2020. Uh, and he's their, he's their kind of Claude McAuley. He's the glue that holds the cement between the stones, uh, as Eric Ten Hag described uh, Casemiro. 
and uh, he dropped him or he rested him and played a far more attacking midfield and um, maybe that, maybe that's a slight level of disrespect to Rovers I don't know they had their homework done nonetheless um, and yeah while they were their manager were disappointed with their performance he was as I said realistic that look a point at Talib not the worst result the cement between the stones by the way I watched the highlights after watching the Rovers game last night looked pretty, look pretty, well. look pretty shaky <laughs> look very shaky um, the, the, just on the substitutes like it was almost like a rugby when I saw the watching on the TV I had no appreciation that there were some Rovers players coming in as well but when I saw the four players lined up it was nearly a rugby move <laughs> like let's get a full you know front row in here freshen yeah. it up and like grind them and I oh, geez, I thought this is a, this is going to kill Rovers and then obviously they, yeah. they had their counter but it geez, it threw the, it, it became like gangbusters out there when the subs were made it was just they, whatever template the game had been following up to that point seemed to go out the window Like, but it was a step up in quality almost in some ways yeah well there's, only, like, what, there's 20 outfield players in the field and they changed 7 of them yeah. between the two teams so it was almost a totally different game and that's interesting to see like will football become like rugby in the sense that you know we hear all about Eddie Jones finishers mm. um, and like do you keep players on the bench in reserve for that last half hour so that's what I was kind of thinking was that what Rovers are doing Jack Byrne Graham Burke Rory Gaffney all on the bench uh, Stephen Bradley said afterwards it was no it was all a case of rotation we need the squad we're fighting on all fronts and I, and I trust everyone in this squad to play and everyone will start games between now and the run-in I think if Jack Byrne had been a bit fitter I think he would have started uh, He was he's just pure class Like you could see it instantly it made an instant impact dropped a gorgeous ball over the top for Rory Gaffney that the goalkeeper initially made a hames of will I come will I not eventually went back and then saved, saved really well but I felt <clears throat> even Jack faded in the last 15-20 minutes or maybe 10-15 minutes and Rovers were looking tired at the end I felt they weren't quite clinging on and hacking the ball away from their own goal line but they did look tired uh, those extra legs in midfield that uh, Gardens brought in made a difference you know and uh, Threatening to overwhelm them. Surely that's not right about the like squad rotation bit when they're a hunt like got 166 grand last night, which obviously dwarfs the prize for winning the, their own league. Mm. And if they'd won the game, obviously they would have got vast amounts more. Surely, as a club, like the people who run the club are sitting down and going, uh, "Listen, like you know, this other stuff is kind of important, but like we need that money, so mm. all out." Like I presume if Jack Byrne was fit. Uh, he would have started last night, surely. I think so, yeah. I would think so. And he seems to be still managing this hip flexor issue. If you look at his Instagram, he's going through all kinds of um, treatments and hard work to try and get back and get fit again. You know, he's had a really frustrating season. And it's a real frustration for Rovers that they haven't been able to play him in Europe yet. Mm-hmm. You know, but they've got, and, you know, he was the talk of the Swedish journalist looking at the team sheet last night. The questions that they were asking, I was like, oh, where's Jack Byrne? Why isn't Jack Byrne playing? Um, and you assumed it was a fitness thing. And Stephen Bradley said afterwards it was, it was a squad rotation issue um, so that is a bit of disappointment now look I don't like we talked about the money we always talk about the money in these games kind of I deliberately left out my match reports and I was probably wrong on reflection to do that it's just like you know we get obsessed with the money and like mm-hmm. this is about the competition and the glory of it uh, and Bradley was asked ahead of the game like does the money matter and he said no we're here to here to compete and that's understandable from his point of view obviously the people above him running the club uh, they have to pay attention to the money and rightly so all I would say is that Jack Byrne didn't start, but 17-year-old Justin Faraday did start, mm. which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And another of these academy prospects, he's so talented, he's so exciting. Did okay last night, didn't, wasn't as good as he was against Ferenc Varos. And, you know, the reality is that Rovers will sell him at some point. Mm. Um, and that, you know, playing in games like that at the age of 17 will raise his value. 
Yeah, and puts them in the shop window as well in a way that uh, domestic games just won't. I'm interested to listen to Brian Kerr and Virgin Media after the game last night. And he was talking about how um, Rovers looked a bit more stable defensively almost than they, than they had mm. done in the league. I don't think he was talking, to be fair, about what you're saying there in relation to the last 10 minutes or so where it yeah. was a bit sort of uh, backs to the wall. And uh, Damon Delaney mentioned that point about like the players coming through and building up that level of European experience and how that will grow and grow. What's... Um, seeing what you saw last night and obviously they've Ghent and Molde to come can they get out of that group now? I still think it's going to be probably beyond them right. but they, they're going to give themselves a chance they won't be that far off I don't think mm-hmm. uh, your guidance were the, were the bottom seeds so you might think if you're going to get out of the group do you need to be beating the bottom seeds at, uh, at home but it's a pretty it's actually a pretty egalitarian group really like I mean Ghent are not the strongest top seeds that they might have gotten you know they might have gotten um, you know West Ham or Fiorentina or, or Villarreal uh, but Malda are really strong second seats. You know they were in the Europa League with Dundalk a couple of seasons ago. Stephen Bradley has rated Malda as the favourites to top the group, and um, because they're ahead of you know Bodo Glimt in uh, in their domestic league and Bodo Glimt, we've seen Hammer Roma and uh, Drogba. They're flying at the minute. Yeah, Bodo they're really good. Yeah. So um, I still think it might be a little bit beyond them. If if like honestly, if Byrne could be fit to start every game mm. you'd give them a chance um, and they'll be hard to beat you know they have adjusted uh, they're much harder to break down than they were in Europe you go back to last year and they were just too open against Flora Tallinn um, they're too open in away games particularly the game against Ferenc Varos first half against Ludogorets so they have adjusted um, are they slightly more defensive they probably are I mean Dylan Watts played last night as well he's a he's a forward thinking midfielder but he's a midfielder unlike Byrne or Burke or uh, Rory Gaffney uh, so they have become more difficult to break down um, that's not to say they don't pass the ball pretty well they do I think one of their problems in the first half was they actually they passed the ball pretty well to get control of the game and just lacked a bit of, pe- bit of penetration in the final third they're going along to Aaron Green a lot and it worked early in the second half, but it didn't really work in the first half. And uh, in fairness, there wasn't a whole lot of space by your gardens in the first half when, when Rovers did have the ball. So I still think that it might be a little bit beyond them to get out of the group. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they do it. You know, I mean, that, last night was a game. It was kind of a, a curious enough game to try and, you know, what's the angle to the report here? Because, like, there's not obvious. Like, it's one of those games, like, either side could have won it. Maybe mm. neither side should, really. Uh, but Rovers are not going to be generous opponents in this group. And I think that, you know, some across Europe will look at the look at the League of Ireland inside and say, OK, they're in the third pot. They're exactly who we want. But I think when teams are doing their due diligence on Rovers and they realise that, they're, particularly their home record, they realise that actually they're not an easy draw at all. Mm. And they did have the chances last night. Like that chance you were talking about, it went over the top and the goalkeeper did so well to come mm. out and... He just his body position. He just did really well. I thought um, if he had stayed in the goal, it might have been a, a different case. But they had the chances, so it could have been yeah, could have been different. Absolutely, and um, obviously Dylan Watts had a good snapshot in the second uh, in the second half in the box after a really good run down the right by uh, Neil Ferruja. That was a really good save. A couple of others from set pieces and, and the Dylan Watts from uh, Dylan Watts shot from the uh, from the edge of the box. I think for uh, for the world of nerds out there, I think the XG was pretty even, um, <laughs> but. Uh, I'm sure they didn't really have Jurgen didn't really have too many clear cut chances that they wasted like Alan Manis wasn't throwing himself left and right to kind of uh, to single handedly claw them away um, there was a great chance in the first half when Dan Cleary stumbled over the ball he kind of almost fell in, in slow motion um, and their striker had a guy running to his right just inexplicably didn't pass to him and then inexplicably shot from about 30 yards <laughs> he, oh he could have taken it so much closer yeah. to goal That's right. as easy for Manis so that was their big chance but other than that I think uh, I, Rovers definitely didn't deserve to lose the game. I 
wouldn't be so sure they deserve to win either. And you think that Stephen Bradley was not, he, he thought they should have won. I, I was just watching him after the game, just on the pitch and going up to the fans and that, and he seemed pretty happy and in, in mm. good spirits. Um, I know, obviously, getting a draw is a good result, but uh, did you feel that he was happy with that or... I think so, yeah. There were times when he was quite a frustrated figure on, on the touchline, particularly at the start. I mean, your gardens did really go at them for the first few minutes and uh, Bradley used his phrase afterwards that our passing was too negative, which I, I wasn't sure what that was. I think maybe that's just hitting it too long or just giving it away too easily. And at the end, he was a bit frustrated because Rovers were, they they were kind of out of the game. Like, your gardens were very, were kind of, by far the dominant side near the end mm. and Rovers were struggling to keep possession really and there was uh, there were kind of parts where the press was a little bit misaligned and that's natural like I mean players who played 90 minutes that's a it's a tiring game you know it's tough to it's tough physically but it's tough mentally as well to to constantly stay, stay concentrated for for a full game like that mm. so um, and they were carrying knocks at the end as well like Sean Gannon tweaked his knee and had to had to play 90 minutes regardless I don't think it's too bad but uh, obviously had Rovers had another sub and not used them by the point that Gannon got injured I think he might have come off yeah, I thought he was gone, and then he saw him reappear again. It was yeah. like, oh, what happened there? That green chance, oh, like 99 times out of 100, the keeper cleans him out, and it's a penalty. Yeah, it was like, yeah he did so well. I, watching the replay, I was like, no, he's going to get him this time. I couldn't believe it. I was wondering, uh, should he, did he need to go around the goalkeeper? Could he have taken the could, shot with could his he, right? Yeah. Um, but or could he gone a bit closer to the keeper and take the contact? And Because like the referee is going to blow that up all day because it was so... Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, keeper, I thought the keeper did well to kind of, you know, yeah, he, he showed him He showed him down the line. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, without fouling him. Um, I think he just got a touch. It was just too much on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and at that point he might have thought the, the goalkeeper will take me out yeah, here. We'll get the penalty. It was a good yeah. um, The Sun aren't alone in reporting this, mor- this morning. We can receive you at the Aviva um, this is obviously on the back of potentially game cancellations um, in Britain are we getting games next week don't know remains to be seen uh, we don't know what's happening with those Champions League games I know there was a, there was a UEFA figure at the game last night who was uh, saying that there may be a chance that the games the European games don't go ahead in England mm. um, next midweek and they may be moved to a neutral venue so naturally the Aviva would be uh, would be an option um, whether it's likely to happen I'm not sure uh, Seems like an enormous, uh, you know, policing ex- and uh, logistical requirement on behalf of the Irish authorities to agree to a game to host like Liverpool or Man City in a massive European game at a few days' notice. So, mm. I don't know. Remains to be seen. Um, also, remains to be seen if those games will be played in neutral venue. They just don't know. Like, I mean, we'll yeah. find clarity on that uh, later this week, and we'll find clarity on, on this weekend's games later today. We can do 17 nights Garth Brooks at Crow Park. Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, on about Garth Brooks. Like <laughs> You're heading down later on, yeah? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm away, I'm away in Hollis tomorrow morning. So I love the way it's uh, like, it's just not fun. credible to me. I'm not, you know, you're not going. You're that, just hiding it, Adrian. It's not credible. <laughs> uh, enjoy the holidays. Thanks for coming in. Cheers, Adrian. Gavin Cooney of the 42 reflecting in events in uh, Tala last night. It's quarter past eight. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And after the break, we're going to be joined by football writer Daniel Harris reflecting a Manchester United's limp display last night against uh, Real Sociedad. We're back after these. Daniel Harris is ready to go. Good morning to you, Daniel. Hello. Um, thanks for jumping on there when our uh, technical issues kicked in, so um, fair play. Um, listen, we want to um, obviously have a bit of a chat about the match last night and uh, general events as to um, what happens to football now over the next few days. Was there a chance last night that the game didn't go ahead, do you think? Did it come close? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they talked about the fact that UEFA decided it should be played because it was just too late to cancel it. You've obviously got people there from San Sebastian. You've come for the game. Uh, 
But otherwise, uh, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to cancel the game because I mean, it just yeah. It, I mean, I, I don't, I don't totally get it. But why, why, why you would cancel the game in that life, life? I feel like generally, like life needs to continue through death. I don't know. Yeah. Does that mean you f- you feel similarly about the games for the next couple of weeks? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess like the kind of. Like I don't like forced mourning isn't something that particularly agrees with me. If people are going to go to work, then they should be allowed to have things that aren't work. And do I think, even if we look at it from this way, do I think the Queen would care if the football went ahead? No, not really. And it feels like for, perhaps society has moved on slightly from from when from when these rules were first discussed. But now. Yeah, if, if people are going to work, then they should be allowed their recreation, I think. Yeah, like it, it almost gets overtaken by... Her wishes would be overtaken by protocol, which is the most sort of royal um, thing possibly of all time. But um, Well, the, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's, that's how this kind of thing works, really, isn't it? Mm. Where no one is exactly directly answerable for why these things happen because, yeah, there's, because it's monarchy. And that's how that's how monarchy works. And like one last point on it, it the, obviously the also the opportunity. And I, I don't mind saying we were saying earlier on that, like from a selfish point of view, we just want to see some football over the next while, and uh, we're a little bit detached from it, of course, over here as well. But the opportunity to use sport in the way that it's been used a lot over, the, particularly over the last few years, to have that sort of outpouring of grief and respect for the head of state that is uh, that has passed. Uh, I, d- I don't know because I feel. People people respond to these things differently, so I think I'm I'm, I'm sure that there are people who go to the football f- who would appreciate it in that aspect. But equally, I'm sure that there are as many people, maybe more, who just would like like the football to continue because it's part of their routine. And I guess for some people, it's hard to treat the death of someone who had nothing to do with them in the way that society feels it needs to treat the death to keep social cohesion going and because and to keep the kind of the imagined community of the nation going because what well, I mean that was that imagined community is a phrase used by Benedict Anderson where what he talked about was you have these communities of nations and people are feel communal with people that they never meet or never will meet so the notion of the, the existence of the community is imagined and that's the kind of way that the royal family operates and lots of other things operate as well. The politics operates, the lots of national symbolism operates too, in that it enables people to feel part of something. But then I guess football does that too. And whether or not you feel a particular way about the Queen, um, I don't know whether cancelling the things that people do to feel better about their lives is the best way of marking that historical page turning. Yeah, there's definitely a celebrity culture aspect to that for sure. On much more basic terms, Daniel, did Eric Ten Hag make a mistake with his team selection last night? Uh, I don't think so, in that he needed to give the other players a game. He needed to give the other players who played the chance. I guess you might look at it and think, well, if Bruno and Eriksen played a half each, maybe they should have played the same half. Maybe you just play them both in the first half, take them off whatever happens, because you've got a better chance of building a lead because I think what happened was Ericsson helps United control games and Bruno helps United win games I mean that's not a perfect distinction obviously 
but it meant that they controlled it quite nicely in the first half when they had Ericsson. But once Bruno came on, they were less able to get him the ball in good areas because Ericsson had gone off. So perhaps he might have done it that way. But I think one thing we saw is why the first 11 is the first 11. Although I would say in parentheses after that, that the players, the fringe players who came in, obviously it's much easier for them if you bring in one or two while the rest of the first team are playing then you change almost everyone and expect to get a performance out of them because that tends not to happen in general. The the crap player saying, oh, why did you start me with these other crap players? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, we saw why, for example, Casemiro hasn't featured yet, really. Like, he looked, he looked a, a way off it. He's actually been okay when he's come off the bench, but he looked like there's work to do for him physically. And probably mentally as well to adjust to all the new things that are there for him, because yeah, he didn't he didn't play well last night, and you can see why Scott McTominay is playing and didn't come on last night because I guess he's the one who in that position Ten Hag is currently happy with. But as for the others, I mean, it's Anthony needed another game, so it's good he got one. He showed some flashes, but the rest of them didn't really stake any kind of claim. Although again. As you say, like the crap players complaining that they're playing with other crap players does obviously make a difference that Ronaldo's got Anthony Alanga outside him rather than Marcus Rashford or whatever, or Anthony who isn't fit yet. But at the same time, you need those players to step up at some point because you're going to need them in the season. So I understand why Ten Hag picked that team, but some some Europa League groups United have got in the last few seasons and they've basically you've thought, well... It's almost impossible not to qualify from this group. But this one, actually, you, obviously they lost last night. You could easily see a team going to Moldova and getting a draw or getting beat. And then at that point, you only qualify automatically if you win the group. Otherwise, you've got to play a team from the Champions League. So, yeah, you never know. You might get United-Liverpool to for a place in the Europa League in a few, in a few weeks. Well, you mentioned Ronaldo. What was your sense like, uh, in some ways, it was a classic... Neo or latter day Ronaldo performance, whatever you want to describe it, in that like it was a lot of arm throwing and a lot of sort of upset with people around him and not a lot of work. Still could have had two or three goals. Is your sense, uh, I'm sort of reading between what you're saying there, that um, looking at Ronaldo and Maguire and Fred last night, maybe to select those ones, uh, they almost confirmed it seemed like what, what it seems Eric Ten Hag has thought about them. But is your sense that actually there could be life in Ronaldo in a better team? Um, he's been, he's been. I thought he played quite well when he came on against Leicester, and I thought he did well when he came on against Arsenal. Because I think perhaps with Ronaldo now, you might he might be quite useful when opposition teams are tiring because he's got a lot of goal scorers now, and he's generally got a lot of footballing now, so he understands where to be. But physically, he struggles against defenders who are quick. I mean, we saw that opportunity it ended up being offside where. He picked up a pass, a back pass, and he was able to head for goal. And he knew that he didn't have the pace to mm. beat the last defender, so he had to basically check back inside. And as someone who <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to do this, about to compare myself to Ronaldo as a footballer, but as someone we're who here for have it, any, we're here for it, <laughs> someone who played centre forward and doesn't have any pace or any or any change of pace, I knew that if I was, if I got past the last defender, I had to hit it. Because if you get past the last defender and you don't hit it, you'll have to start beating them again. And then you're opening up a whole world of trouble because other defenders are coming back and you're getting surrounded. And that was just, it felt almost like he hadn't adjusted to not being quick anymore. Because he, then it happened again in the second half where he had an opportunity where he took a touch and he had to hit it. 
because otherwise you haven't got the gas to get away from the defender, whether it's over five yards or in that first yard to half yard. And he has to, I think, adjust his game if he wants to score goals because you just have to get the ball out your feet and hit it. Another player like that is Harry Kane, who's at his peak more or less, but he doesn't have acceleration to get away from a quick defender. And what I think when I watch Harry Kane play and when I think about Harry Kane, the thing that I always find most brilliant about him is I would say from 15 to 22 yards, he might be the best finisher I've ever seen. And what he does is he takes a touch or he might not even take a touch. He gets it out of his feet and he hits it early and before the keeper's able to set himself and he's accurate. And that is how you see Harry Kane score a lot of his goals. And I think one of the reasons he scores so many goals like that is that he doesn't? He knows he doesn't have the pace to get away from a quick defender. Cavani last season doesn't have it either. What we see with Cavani, and I, I think I may have come on the show and compared myself to him as well. I was a mass, <laughs> multifaceted player, let me tell you. Um, but what he would do is you see Cavani always try and chip the keeper. And the reason he tried and chip the keeper wasn't for the swag or because it looks cool, although it does. It was because he knew that he didn't have the pace to get away from a quick defender with recovery pace. And though that's an adjustment, I think, that perhaps Ronaldo needs to make. But... Yeah, if you saw him playing with better players, he'd be better. If you saw him playing against more tired defenders, he'd be better as well. But also, Sociedad, they're not mugs, and they, they did a pretty good job. They got lucky with the penalty, fair enough, but they did a pretty good job of shutting United down because although United, as we said, played players who haven't been playing much, the players who played, like, they're, not, they're, not, I mean, they're not total donkeys. They're not as good as the first set of players, and Sociedad did a pretty good job, particularly in the second half, of attacking the space and keeping the ball out of their danger areas such that United created almost nothing. And just when you're speaking on Harry Kane there and he's adjusted his game and that's how he's, he's still playing so well and it's working for him. And then Ronaldo at the moment, he hasn't really adjusted his game and you wonder where he fits in. Like, Do you think he'd be OK to be this impact sub? Is he OK with that? Uh, well, he'd be OK with that. Uh, he's going to have to be. Because he's behind at least two players for that centre forward position. But I think Harry Kane, it's not so much whether he's adjusted his game, it's that probably he's always had this. Harry Kane wasn't fast when he was in the youth team, when he was in the, uh, when he was in the reserves, or playing, he wouldn't have been the fastest player, so he would have had to have found a way of getting his goals without the pace to get away from defenders. And perhaps with Ronaldo, it's that he, he used to have that. If you put Ronaldo clear one-on-one, the defender was not likely to catch him. And it's actually, with, with Harry Kane, it's probably something that was always the case, so he had to find a solution. Whereas with Ronaldo, it's only actually the case, and he hasn't found the solution. Having to shoot immediately is not a perfect solution, but it's something of which he should be capable because he can shoot well from 20 yards. And it's those, it's those, it's those kind of areas, those sort of mid-distance finishes, where, where the lack of pace, it has, you have to find a way around the lack of pace. Um, yeah, and as, as with him being an impact sub, that's that's what's on offer. That, unless unless he plays in a way that demands something better, being an impact sub is is all that's available to him. So if he doesn't, if he can't get used to it, and if he can't make it work, then he's not going to play. But I was actually, as I said, encouraged by how he did against Leicester and how he did against Tottenham of his ability to fulfil that role in the squad. I'm sure that he will get games, probably home games against teams United should beat, where they're sitting back, where there's not a lot of space in behind for him to attack, where then you're looking for his ability to sniff a chance in the box. And that's something that's something you never lose. So I would expect him to play in some of those games. But at the moment, Ten Hag is obviously trying to get the team settled, get some momentum going. So that's one of the reasons he's not changing the team. And I guess another reason is the performance you saw last night. And it's the same reason why Rangnick, when Ole was the manager... 
he basically had one team, one eleven that he trusted that he could pick, more or less. And the reason is what you saw last night. And then Rangnick came in, and he constantly trying to find a different blend, try and find a way of not playing Fred and McTominay together in midfield, trying to find the front three that worked. And in the end, he keep coming back to the same players because that didn't work either. Whereas Tenach has found something that sort of works. It's not it's not perfect yet, but the players are getting better, and it's working at the moment. So. For him to change that is going to require injury, suspension, or someone to seize an opportunity that they're given. And at the moment, that doesn't really look likely. And uh, from Casemiro's point of view, that he gets a bit of a like first start last night, maybe not the glittering players around him that he would like, or maybe that he's used to, gets a free pass and things are going to come good? Or what, what was your thoughts? No, no one gets, no one gets a free pass ever. Like you ha- you're there and you have to perform. And he didn't perform last night. But... Um, I wouldn't, in the same way I didn't want to write Ten Hag off after the first two games or write Martinez off after the Brentford game, I know that Casemiro is a good player. We all know that Casemiro is a good player with a great mentality. So while it is possible that he came to United for the money, there's a lot more chance, based on what recent history, that United will make him crap than he'll make them crap. And just quickly to go back to Ronaldo... I think that for him, being sub is actually not bad. If you know that you're going to come on around 60 minutes in every game, then you can focus on that. You can prepare for that. You know that you're going to play and you know that the opposition are tiring and then you've got half an hour to give absolutely everything. And being a sub is an important role, whether it's in extending a lead, defending a lead or trying to win a game. like That, to me, is, is an important, specific and expert role. And at this stage of his career, playing that role in a team that's starting to win and gathering some momentum should be quite a good thing for Ronaldo. And that should be something... I, know, I mean, I know that these people aren't like that. They're not built like the rest of us. But at some point, that is something that he's going to have to make his peace with or not play. But yeah, Casemiro, I was disappointed in Casemiro last night. I was hoping he was going to play so well that he had to play for United and whenever the next game is. But that turned out not to be the case. Yes, yeah, see, Ronaldo, I understand completely what you're saying, Daniel, that, you know, it's absolutely so important to maybe finish with your your best team, a finisher, someone who can close out the game, and um, to have that impact. But I just don't know, would he accept to be that type of player? That's probably what I'm wondering is, would he be okay to, to be coming off the bench for, for that last 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is? You'd wonder, as you said, they're, they're built differently, you know, they're highly competitive. Would he be okay with that? Uh, I don't know, but he doesn't have options. Yeah. He thought he did, and it turns out that he didn't. So ultimately, it, 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 he's going to have to make his piece of it because that's all he's yeah. getting. I mean, he may maybe try and find a move in January, but there's no particular reason he's getting himself a move in January unless unless Chelsea decide that actually they've got now got a manager that they can force to have him. But again, that seems unlikely that they would want to start that row with a new manager. So I don't actually think that Ronaldo's got an angle and... I also was thinking about that if this is something he's prepared to accept because it's the best he's getting, and this isn't something I particularly want, but it might give him a way of staying at United and playing at a decent level next season because I know that it's assumed that Ronaldo is going to leave United next season, but the question will still beg, to where? Who's paying his wages and who wants to invite his ego into their dressing room if he's going to sulk if he's not playing all the time and is going to be of a high enough level for him. So if I was Ronaldo, I'd also have that on my mind that actually, if he wants to carry on playing next season, I'm sure he does, that actually United probably isn't a bad place to be because it looks like they're going forward and it looks like he can find himself a decent role. 
which would not necessarily be available to him at any equivalent club or even a team that are better than United currently. So I don't think anymore it's about what Ronaldo feels. It's about what Ronaldo can get. One very quick one for you, Daniel, before we let you off, just on uh, Ten Hag's satisfaction or otherwise with last night. So a 1-0 defeat. Some of the players that have been sidelined didn't perform as they might have done. But in some ways, would he have been... Like, it gives him good clarity now, almost more clarity. He must be some satisfaction with him today when he sits down where he's like, geez, did I make the right call there with that player or is, or is that the, not the right thing? At least he has good clarity almost now about who his first maybe 11 to 13 players are. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he knows, he knows the first 11 that we've seen in the last couple of games is his first 11. The only change that would be, um, I guess, perhaps Martial might play in, in, instead of Rashford. Uh, but Rashford's doing all right at the moment. And the only other one is, uh, I, I'm sure he wants Casemiro to be in the team instead of McTominay at some point. But we saw last night, it doesn't look like Casemiro is ready for that yet. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just, as I said, it's the same with the other managers. I mean, it's not. it's been clear who the best players at United are for a while. Um, obviously, the players that he's brought in are excellent and better than the players that they replaced. But otherwise, yeah, we know who the best players are, so I'd expect them to start the league games. The problem he has now is that he's under a little bit of pressure in the Europa League because he does want to stay in that competition and they will need to start winning some games. Um, so... I don't know. There's, there's meant to be a game uh, in, in uh, Moldova next week. I, we'll find out if that is actually the case. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Ten Hag knows what he what his first team is for the next game, whenever that is, and also what he wants his first team to be in three or four weeks. Good stuff, Daniel. Thanks, William. Daniel Harris on the line there. Nice, uh, thoughtful stuff on uh, on all topics. Eight uh, thirty-five almost on this Friday morning. Good morning to you, wherever it is you are at. Uh, loads of comments coming into us about a variety of different things this morning. So whatever on your mind, uh, do fire your thoughts into us. You're watching OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We'll have uh, Cullen Buig in studio very shortly to discuss something. Actually, I'm not quite sure what it is, but he's the producer of the show and he's uh, insisted that he's coming in. Um, to fill the gap between now and Alan Quinlan coming on. So we'll see. We're in for a treat, no doubt. Uh, and a reminder as well that the Premier League is back and we've teamed up one of Europe's largest sports events, ticketing and hospitality companies. They're Champions Travel and giving you the opportunity to win a €250 Euro Champions Travel voucher every day this week. And they can be used on Premier League match trips as well as a host of other sporting events. Probably don't book it right now. Just with a bit of clarity maybe later on today. Daily winners also going to be entered into our grand prize draw where one lucky winner is going to win a trip from a selection of Premier League games with flights and two nights accommodation included. And to enter, just tell us who's this iconic former England winger running through his schedule that prevented him coming on the show this morning. 7 o'clock M&L, 8 o'clock EastEnders, 8.30. If Holby City's not on... Which- I thought that line earlier was a bit funny. Here we go again. 7 o'clock M&L, 8 o'clock EastEnders, 8.30. If Holby City's not on... Which- Right, send us in your guests uh, to the main Twitter account at Off The Ball and we'll have a winner for you a little bit later in the day. We're back with Colin Bowie against studio after these. OTB AM. Welcome back to our live production meeting here. I don't really know what's happening, but Colin is in studio and he's got a microphone on him. Hi, you've heard. So he's going to tell us what to do after we get to the end of the slot that he's in for. And uh, we also haven't actually given no idea what that's about. No, that's fine. Because I just realised, like, I've been away for the week. Yeah, and uh, there's probably been a dirth of uh, US Open talk. It hasn't been actually some really great probably been a dearth of it really. It so great. I was coming in this Jenny morning. Jenny Taffy was in during the weekend. She said some great lights. She's a really tactical. Uh, Our other contributors insight. just don't seem to be able to hit. Well, the, I give something different <laughs> today. And then I was coming in this morning, and then Emma Carroll was saying, "We, we haven't done enough uh, US Open. Uh, we'll rectify that." Mm. So here we are. Have you been watching it? No. Have you been watching it? 
A little bit, not not overly a lot now. I was away in Slovakia. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it's eight thirty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, here, listen. Well, let's let's talk no. about talk about United first of all. Then just no. Can we? Can I just oh, say one thing on, about yeah, the yeah, US Open? The producer, yeah. um, you see, it's a very difficult tournament to follow mm. in Ireland. Uh, especially when you're on this shift. So actually every morning you wake up, it's kind of like that Christmas Day feeling is like what's happened overnight. And I have to say, I was absolutely furious with Nick Kyrgios because he's blown it. I mean, he's really blown it. Like Wimbledon, people thought that was his chance. That was his only time he'll ever get to a Grand Slam final, which I did firmly believe. I never thought he'd get to a Grand Slam final. But like, there's no shame in losing to Novak Djokovic. And he won the first set off him. And actually, up until that point, Djokovic had never taken a set off Kyrgios ever. Now, they hadn't played since 2017. But when the start of that second set, it was like, oh my God, Kyrgios is two sets away from winning a Grand Slam and winning Wimbledon. So I thought, well, that's probably the zenith of his career. But like in terms of like no Djokovic, Nadal was knocked out by Francis Tiafo, no Roger Federer, Daniel Medvedev, Kyrgios knocked him out. And then he plays Karen Hashinov, the Russian, who was a decent player, but nothing special, like nothing that nobody that should be beating Kyrgios. And it goes to five and Hashinov breaks him in the first game of the final set after Kyrgios played a brilliant fourth set tie break. And you're just saying, you know, I've followed him for a long time and he's all the talent in the world, which everybody knows about. And he can be, he has a lot of negative traits to his personality, which some of the stuff is indefensible. But there is something I find about him very magnetic as a sports person. Yeah. And I love watching him play. But he's not in the John McEnroe mould of somebody that you can actually, he doesn't have an awful lot of like traits to his personality that you get drawn to. He just seems like, I, I, do, I don't uh, want to draw a, a veil over the guy because I don't have the first idea what he's about other than just everything I see about him. Mm. Um, he just doesn't come across like a very nice individual. Well, I, yeah, it's not so much about being nice. It's about being captivating as a sports person. I'm not saying I want to go for a pint to the guy. I am saying I'm interested in what he has to say and I find his press conferences intriguing because a lot of... Um, a lot of these media things can be quite bland across all sports and you are looking for especially when you're in the media you are looking well, you for you don't have to be either bland or bland. an asshole like there's no no I, absolutely and there's definitely a common ground where charm would be great or something like that but there is something about Kyrgios that you do listen to and I think most people do now a lot of people can't stand the sight of him and that's fair enough too and like his reaction when he did lose to Hashinov breaking two rackets on oh, course stop. like you know like, so yeah, dis- that, that is, that is and it, yeah that's absolutely disrespectful to the winner of the match Absolutely, and, like he and is that behaviour probably having an effect for him going on and doing great things? I often think sometimes in those outbursts and mm. yeah, controlling all of that is a massive aspect of like this high intensity game. You know, you have to be able to control all that to maybe go on and to be able to get these big wins. Is that a reason that it's not happening? For yeah, him? I mean, I I don't think he can control his temper sometimes, mm. but I think that it's his responsibility to try his best to do so because nobody else really does what he does at that level of the game like there are players like Benoit Paire the French player again very talented but like basically often throws a lot of matches like the first round this year at the US Open didn't try you know or leading into the US Open actually sorry warm up tournament and he does that every so often but when you're playing at that level of the game like it's so rare it's basically non-existent like Kyrgios is seed at 23 he is actually a seed in this Grand Slam which he rarely is and he got to Wimbledon final. Like, he, you know, he should be beyond all this. Like, it is, it's yeah. teenage stuff. Like, you know, it's very immature. But at the same time, that's not why you tune in for him. But I guess with him, it's like, well, what you see is what you get. But I think he's just not strongly reprimanded enough yeah. by umpires during matches. And I think they're a bit oh, well, afraid he'd tell of him. You obviously that and I, and he, he would say the opposite. He would say he's victimized. But I think he, like, there's bullying tactics going on. So there's a lot of, a bit of his personality, like, that. 
I'd be very unsure about, but there is something about him as a tennis player that I find well, so I think interesting. That says a lot more about you, Colin, than it does about. Well, about explain him. that. I want, about well, I'd love to hear this. No, but just that <laughs> you're drawn to this personality that most people think is. No, I think he's like. The, I, I, if he's the subject of a documentary, I would absolutely watch it. But I, and I think yeah, that's but I mean, why there's we been documentaries about sport. several characters, and Correct. I was going to name there's one there, but I'll, I'll hold, I'll hold off of people, on that. Yeah. Who aren't particularly nice that you would you would watch the documentary? It doesn't mean that you mm. have to, you know. I saw it, one of his comments afterwards where he was like, "Oh, I'm just so disappointed for everybody I've let down, all my fans." But you're like, doing it constantly. And I also thought, like, all your fans? Is he like? Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> well, he was fans then. Yeah. Well, you're you seem to be leading the posse here. Not necessarily. I'm just saying that I find him um, an interesting character and it's a shame for him that he blew this opportunity because now he has to wait till the Australian Open in January and who knows what his motivation levels will be like then. He has to wait until then to smash a few rock, rockets, uh, rackets and uh, bow out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, but look, uh, Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner took the, the tournament by storm the other night playing a five and a quarter hour match there was one shot that Alcaraz played behind his back. He was running and he hit his power forehand behind his back as he was running and he won the points. I saw that. What was going oh on my there? God. That's unbelievable. But still, I, say I haven't seen any French. I'm all over. Are you <laughs> well, I mean, that's <laughs> nicely clipped for you to watch, is, yeah. you know, on Twitter. I thought it was one of these, you know, the way you get fed these, like, I seem to get like an awful and uh, too much tennis clips in my TikTok. Do you? I don't know why it happens. In TikTok? Yeah. your algorithm? It's well, it's supposed to know me, but it, I mean, it doesn't. So that means everything I send you, you do watch. And oh, then your phone. It's, it's all it's, it's, it's all the stuff that columns so That's good. It's good. I just didn't understand what he was doing. Like, why, why would you do that? Why would you hit a shot back? Well, hit the shot and then turn your back on it. No, no. It wasn't he, even a great shot. No, did you see the same shot that I saw? Yeah, he hit it he and was, then he turned around. No, he was running. He was covering his right side. He was running across court. And Sinner was like, well, you're running that way, so I'm going to hit running it behind it, you. So it's the only way yeah. you could do it. So that was the only, yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly it. That was the only way he improvised. And he created gold as a result. Content. We live in a content-driven world. That clip had like a million views when I woke up to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that you saw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can um, gather more tennis fans as a result, that's great. How many views we're, we're happy to have you. How many views did Curious the rackets break? Oh, I don't know, but I'd say it's seven figures at this stage, yeah, maybe see? late six figures. I know, yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, you know, and you know what the cliche would be about Curious to be like, oh, well, if you took that out of his game, he wouldn't be the same player. But like, I actually fundamentally believe that he'd be a better player again if he just stopped all that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like against Medvedev, he didn't didn't say a word. The odd bit was to his uh, box. That's about it. So if he concentrates, he's a great player. But look, there's more to tennis than Nick Curious. It was just that mm-hmm. him losing this week, I thought was actually, ah, you know, he's really lost his chance here. Now we do have a great women's final set up. Mm-hmm. Iga Swiatek, seeded number one, into her first non-French Open final of a Grand Slam against Anne Jabeur who lost the Wimbledon final now that'll be good what do you mean for that? <laughs> a good matchup enthusiasm for this sport it's like <laughs> you're just you're, you're into it in a way that I've, so few people are coming it's so well it's uh, sport that's what we're here for isn't it are we done well now tell us about the women's one oh, yeah. Yves Vantek brilliant what a player yeah. well look she won the French Open twice and mm-hmm. like she was the dominant player of 2022 until she lost at Wimbledon and then well, people thought, well, she's going to be unbeaten. Like, there's nobody to touch her. Showed a bit of vulnerability with that defeat. And actually, it hasn't been great at this US Open and just beat uh, Arena Sabalenka in the semi-final in three sets. And uh, she's playing, finally, very well. And it would be great f- to see her win something that's not the French Open so people can say, well, she's an all-around game. Because mm-hmm. often it's labelled, especially at clay court, is that, like Rafa Nadal in his early career was that, well, you're a specialist on clay. Can you do it elsewhere? Then he proved that at the other Grand Slams. And I hope that Sviantec does that because... The women's game does need a dominant figure. There are 20 to 30 candidates all the time to win Grand Slams. But it looks like Sviantec 
has the will to stay in the game for as long as possible and she certainly has the talent and then Ange Jabeur she's probably playing the most popular um, player you know, I'd say both codes in the men's and women's she's the minister for happiness is what she's known as around the tour <laughs> because she brings such good vibes to like everybody yourself, like yourself yeah. I was going to say it about you but you mm-hmm. said it about me that's great a great way to end this slash what's your favourite thing to say Colm happy Friday <laughs> do you say that? We should do more do you, of this. Do you say happy Friday? You say happy Friday? <laughs> Emma, whenever you've got ideas about tennis in the future, will you just keep I have Alan Quinlan in there waiting in the box. About. Listen, it's great to have you back. Thanks, Manny, for that. Thanks for having me on. That'll do the business for us now later on today. It's uh, quarter, there for quarter, to, quarter to nine. It is handy, in fairness, having the producer in the studio for other reasons. Uh, quarter to nine. You're watching OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be live in studio next. Alan Quinlan. And uh, first of all, John Giles, last night's show, talking about the genius of Erling Haaland. I fear we may uh, get sick talking about the brilliance of Erling Haaland between now and the end of the season. A couple more goals in the Champions League during the week. 12 goals in eight matches for Manchester City. Uh, On a scale of one to Jimmy Greaves, just how good is he? Well, he's different. You know, like, it's very seldom you've got great players the same. Mm. You know, Dennis Law was different to, to, to Jimmy Greaves. But Greaves was a genius at what he did. You know, he, he scored his goals differently to, to Haaland. Haaland is a big lad, uh, very quick, uh, reads it well, he's in there, um, probably works a bit harder when he doesn't have the ball to Jimmy Greaves. Uh, but Jimmy Greaves, anybody, you, you could live with Nathan, you know. He was a genius. Mm. You see the amount of goals he scored at a time when the pitches were bad and all that. So great goal scorer. Dennis Law was, was a great player as well, different. Haaland is different. They're all different in their own ways. But what's great about him, what is he, about 6'5"? 6'5", yeah. Right? His balance is brilliant. He's quick as lightning. Uh, He gets in the box. He gets in at the the, the areas where you've seen him, where De Bruyne a couple of matches now hit a terrific ball. He was there, almost on the goal line, but in. So he has has that knack, if you call it a knack, that great players have for scoring goals. You won't see him in the game much, you know. As I used to say that about Jimmy, all he does is score goals. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you want from him? <laughs> the most important thing on the, on, on the game, game and, and, and I must be honest now, in Ronaldo, when I saw Ronaldo at Manchester United, I thought he was a lazy devil. You know? Yeah. He wasn't getting back in that. Well, but then, I, obviously, I changed my mind because he was scoring goals left, right, and centre, wherever he went. But Haaland is different, but they're all different. You know, he, he, in, in, as I said, in my time, it was Law, Law and Greaves were the main goal scorers. Totally different. That's John Giles. You can check out the uh, full piece up on our uh, YouTube channel. He was in conversation with Richie uh, on uh, with Nathan on the show last night. It is uh, ten to nine. You're watching OTBM. We've still Dominic Fifield to come from the Athletic. He's going to talk to us all things Chelsea. Such interesting times there, obviously, with uh, one man out and another man in, and uh, plenty of comings and goings on the pitch as well. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But uh, for the first time in about three years, I think Alan Quinlan is in studio. Good morning to you, Quinny. Morning, Adrian and Ashley. I was here over the summer. How were you? After the New Zealand tour, I wasn't. Yeah, I was here. Well, good to see you. Yeah, you too. How's life? Uh, good, thanks, yeah. Yeah, yeah good. Oh, good. 
Um, you've been sort of mulling over. You've taken the summer to mull over the best 15 that you've ever played against over the course of your career. So we're going to come to it's that a no-win in a situation. It is absolutely no win. I've been looking at it last night and I was like, oh, how could he let him out? But we'll get to that in a minute. There was a couple of things I just wanted to ask you about. First of all, the uh, Lawrence Delalio comments yesterday, I don't know if you saw them, but he was talking about the balance of power shift from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere in the context of the World Cup. He said, at no point since New Zealand won in 87 have the hemispheres been as close as they are now. Talks about the top four in the world rankings been from the Northern Hemisphere up to very recently. And he says there's been a genuine shift in the balance of power. France, Ireland and possibly England have a good chance uh, as they had in any previous year as he's talking about winning the World Cup. So the overall point being that the Northern Hemisphere is now stronger than the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I think the world rankings sometimes can be a bit skewed. We, we've experienced that in 2018, yeah. didn't we? And um, it probably it can change very, very quickly. You know, a couple of results, even you know, November will will dictate a lot of that. Um, South Africa are coming here, New Zealand, Australia, um, and they're playing a lot of tough games. You know, some of we've only three games the Irish team, but you know, England are playing four, Scotland are playing four, Wales are playing four, and. Um, I think it's how you kind of how the Southern Hemisphere kind of react to them. Mm. They're quite difficult games for them. You think Australia have to play France and um, are they going to win there? New Zealand come and play England. Um, England will be rubbing their hands together thinking tweaking them again and um, it's difficult for New Zealand because they're inconsistency. But has the gap closed? Probably. I think um, what, what I think the, the difference for me with the Northern Hemisphere teams is and, and look I can only I can probably speak stronger on it being there in New Zealand for Ireland mm. um, and the New Zealand situation I think and we've probably seen a fair inconsistency from them and probably a lack of patience around their attack when they're used to being pretty dominant against teams and scoring after three, four phases um, they've probably got to do it a little bit different now and be a bit more patient particularly when you came up Ireland, they came up against an Ireland side who were very, very well organised. And you could argue in that first test, you know, they scored, was it five tries, six tries? Mm. But I think four or five of them were probably preventable and one or two fortunate, if you know what I mean, which sounds crazy when you're saying something like that. But I think um, they probably got to adapt a little bit more when they're playing the Northern Hemisphere because you're coming up against sides who are pretty well organised defensively. Mm. And that's probably the difference in the last 20 years that Lawrence is talking about. Mm. Every team is good defensively now. You have to be patient, um, get your fundamentals right, your set piece. South Africa, the team, of course, who on their day can overpower teams and really physically assert themselves. So the gap probably has closed, um, but I wouldn't be getting too carried away with it. Um, I think you've nine World Cups, as, as he said, and, and eight have been by the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. France are probably best placed next year at the World Cup, you would imagine, to, to have a run. France, New Zealand, Ireland are on a really difficult side of the draw because if you look at what will happen in the quarterfinals, you know, they... And I kind of wrote down names here. I think you think... In, I put down Australia, Argentina in, in one quarterfinal. Ireland, New Zealand in another. We take the 20. Um, <laughs> England, Wales and France, South Africa. And that's... England, Wales will be a belter of a game. England have a quite you would you the way you look at where they're at and the pool they're in, they've got Japan, Argentina, Samoa and Chile. You know, I think are they gonna be very taxed after that? And then 
they're on the Wales Australia and Wales are the World Cup though I mean Argentina like, side of the draw so they're going effectively England are going to play Wales or Australia yeah. and you think you'd probably take Australia at this stage wouldn't you like yeah Wales possibly the World Cup yeah but you think England are in a semi-final there they're in a situation where they're getting to a semi-final the, probably the best chance we had and the probably I wouldn't say the easiest but the best path we had was in 2015 um and with all due respect, Argentina can be incredible sometimes. And I go back to 2017, when I, seven when I was at the World Cup. That was an incredibly strong Argentina side. And they're very dominant against Ireland. But you kind of fancied that side. Maybe 2011 with, with Wales um, in that quarterfinal, you think maybe that's a, an easier path through. Mm. You're avoiding South Africa. You're avoiding New Zealand. You're avoiding England. Um, but it hasn't happened for Ireland so they're on a side now where they're going to play if they come out of the group because I keep saying this every time I talk about it you just can't discount Scotland because they're going to get a lot of motivation out of everybody talking about Ireland and South Africa coming out of that group in, in, in Pool B but look it's a long time away Adrian. It is. I think it's si- and we, we lived it didn't we in 2019 yeah. you know we went into Six Nations after being ranked number one in the world, world coach of the year, world player of the year, world team of the year at the end of 2018 to getting smothered by England in our first Six Nations game and then it kind of fracturing a little bit, that whole team kind of bond or, or, or energy that they had and, and it ended up being a very disappointing year. So it can change very quickly, but... Um, I do agree with him that it possibly has closed a little bit, but the proof will be in the pudding because with those November fixtures, you know, um, I think Australia are a very dangerous side when you see they've had a lot of injuries and a lot of inconsistencies again. um, And you see, it's, it's hard to judge, isn't it? Argentina beat New Zealand, South Africa get well beaten by Australia and then it's a role reversal the week after. So, it's kind of hard to know where it, where they're all at. Um, one very quick one before we get into your selection on the, your your best fifteen. Um, the RFU mooting the idea that uh, they could put players' names in the backs of jerseys. The Nigel Owens gif of uh, it's not soccer, you know, um, sort of came to mind when that happened. And we've been in contact with the IRFU about it to see if they any comment about it. It's not something that's on the radar at the minute. Maybe something down the track. So nice sort of loose catch all there. Um, have you any? sort of moral objection to players' names in the I backstory. don't know I don't know what I'd be for it because um, I kind of have a feeling that you know without being disrespectful to other sports that, that use the names I think the thing about getting a, an international jersey in particular is you kind of don't own it um, you earn the right like you are doing all the interna- interna- when you play in an international team and I don't know, initials or something like that would be enough for me if you got your initials or something on I just don't know about seeing all the names on the backs of the jerseys and changing from one week because there's a fair few changes in it. And mm. if I was kind of 23rd or 4th man in an Irish squad and kind of chomping to get into that 23... Um, I, I don't know does it make any difference around selection because they can no. change names and it's the sort quickly. of thing that'll probably come in at some point or another and it probably just will. become yeah. like, I'm not totally in. against yeah. it but I just I don't know if it needs to happen you know what I mean um, it, I think the reasoning and it's been probably the RFU in, 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 are, are driving this in England is, is more exposure for players, players maybe it's yeah. agents behind the scenes that are saying well we've a greater chance to market and look if it does market the names and the game a bit more you know I don't have an issue yeah. with it but 
I'm just not saying, God, I, I, if I was in an Irish squad now, I'd want Quinlan on the back of the jersey when I go out and play. I think mm. everybody knows the team is going to be nice to have that on a Yeah, that would be pretty like, cool. No, no, you, yeah, yeah but you get, you get jerseys and you get yeah. your name on them and you get different sorts of presentations and, and you know, you get the cap and all that. Mm. So, um, but look, I'm not totally against it, but I'm not sure it's something I'd be pushing for. And it or, or has been something that was done before. Wales did it, didn't they? Did they a few years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I had seen that online that they had done it. I think it was maybe 2008 around then that they had they had the names on. I wonder why it didn't continue though. Maybe I don't know. It was something. Sound about sounds about right for Wales. It's like <laughs> cheapening the jersey. Um, right, let's get into it. Your best 15 that you've played against through your career, Quinny, and. Uh, We'll, will we start the we'll start the uh, backs. Let's get going with the backs first, and we can we can move from there. Do you want to kick us off at full back? Yeah, I I, I wanted to stay away from Irish players because I just didn't. I don't want to be meeting. Well, I say, look, <laughs> what you mean is you wanted to stay away from Leinster players because oh, well, uh, like you didn't play against. Well, you didn't play against. I played them in club ga- club games. I get out of it. You yeah. couldn't. We wouldn't. No, accept look, it I that. think if you're picking a team that you played against, you're trying to pick guys at the peak of their power. I think that's. I was kind of thinking what. How, how do I pick the players here? Because there's a scatter of unbelievable mm. players that you could go from. And um, fullback was one area that I kind of um, struggled to kind of find real standouts. Uh, a number of them. Um, obviously, the standout that I, the player I picked was Rob Carney because I played against him a lot. Mm. Um, I played with him, um, and just given the period of time that he played, I think he was the best in the business you know, I got picked on the Lions tour in 2009 and he was picked mm. and I remember the obviously I didn't go but after afterwards watching the, his performances in those test matches and he got picked again in 13 so the proof is in the pudding that he was right up at the top of of, of probably the best in the world you at that time played against Mills Mullaina in your last game for Ireland yeah he's, incredible he's player he's in the same way incredible another player. one that would be in the mix yeah for sure but they, I think Probably because I played a bit more. Um, I remember playing against Percy Montgomery. He was incredibly dominant for South Africa. Um, Liam Williams, at the start of his career, um, he played full back. Probably was a bit unknown when, when at the very start when Munster played the Scarlets. I didn't play against him internationally. Maxime Maydard, uh, he came to mind. It's it, it, You want to try and pick guys who you remember mm. come to your mind without actually having to go Googling yeah, and yeah. too much research. Is that a little bit unfair sometimes? But um, well, some any of the players you mentioned there at full-back, you could you go know, with any of them. anybody well, could take them, you know. Give us your two wing positions. Um, again, people who just came to mind were, were um, you know, Jason Robinson. I haven't played against him um, a number of times. Um, I just thought he was incredible. Pace, people forget the pace. Step, the, off the, chart. the transition from rugby league over, and I think he was very powerful and physical for for not the biggest guy. Yeah. Um, he was a poacher on the ground, um, and look, his talent was incredible. Um, and even as uh, under the high ball, you think at the start people were thinking, "Will we kick the ball high to him?" But he was actually really good in the air, and he played full back for England a number of times as well. Um, the other wing, I think, is self-explanatory, isn't it? One I think I got. Ideas. I think one. Of, I got one of his shoelaces in in two thousand and two <laughs> in Auckland. Um, having coming off the bench, um, and uh, yeah, he was incredible. Sure, he was. Uh, 
you know iconic figure in the game and uh, sadly not 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 around now but um, I think every, no, there isn't too many arguments with picking John Olomu on the on the other wing so you you played against him once was it I I think it was twice right. uh, but just I think being on the field alone with him um was um I think you'd be a bit pretty nervous um I, I and someone said to me I actually was chatting to someone last night and they said to me would would he make the same impact in the modern game mm. probably not the same kind of running out over people because technically and physically players are stronger nowadays than when you think back to that World Cup in 95 when he was running out over um, players and, and the impact he made um, because we probably saw a very similar type player in Julian Sevea, um in the last number of years that he played for New Zealand and the impact he had so Was there chatter about him Quinny because I was, I was listening to I, I want to say Will Carling but that seems to be as if those I don't know if those areas cross one of those sort of old school England players for sure um, in the World Cup talking about seeing him so they were prepared for him and they were chatting away about him in advance of the game and then it, they came out in the tunnel and he was like holy shit what are we going to do with this guy was there the same sense of it in the Irish setup that time or what was the conversation yeah I think him? so yeah I remember Gary Longwell made a tackle on him um the Irish second or from 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 Ulster, and it was a brilliant tackle. And I went, God, this, geez, maybe he can tackle this guy in that first test in Dunedin um, in two thousand and two. Uh, and you know, a lot of the Irish players did. He didn't kind of, he didn't have that impact that he would have had. I think from ninety five to around ninety nine, that World Cup, that's when he did all the damage and. People didn't know how to defend him. Obviously, the South Africans in the final and James Small was right up in his face and stopping the acceleration and him getting going. But, um, um, yeah, of course, uh, of course there is. But um, I think, and, and again, you know, he was so unfortunate that we didn't see a run of 10 years out of, out of John Alomo with, with his illness and stuff like that. But incredible player in his time. The midfield feels like probably the best midfield of all time including every midfield player who's ever played the game well it's hard to 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 kind of um it's unfair to compare the amateur era because physically and technically mm. the players are are bigger they they're professionals they have time to work on the game could you have taken some from the amateur era? could mike gibson have had the same effect mm. um you know brendan mullin was was an incredible irish international as well and achieve so much would they have been different and better and physically stronger of course they would have but you know picking Man Anu and Brian O'Driscoll I don't think again of course you can debate it I could have put a couple of other centres in there um, and What was it like playing against because you would have known Brian obviously so well from bidding camp and known him about the place and stuff what was it like coming up against him again like almost that same question about how much chat was about him because he was such a standout world class inarguable player in the conversation for world player of the year every year what was what would the conversation be in the Munster camp about dealing with him in the week of a game Um, just not giving him space and I think um, trying to make sure that you had you know you were on the money and, and switched on um, when when a player of his ability and caliber, he wasn't a player that feared. You know, like I always thought, when people say who 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 did you have a fear against when you played, fear is about physically um, being fearful. First, yeah. I think you know it's like encountering someone up a dark laneway. Like, is it a physical fear or is it? 
Um, and, and I kind of thought that way in rugby, like who, who do you fear is going to hurt you here physically when you go to tackle them, things like that. So most of the backs there, um, although Nanu was a bit different, um, but Dricko was incredibly powerful and um, just really quick, intelligent. And if you, as I said, if you, he could do things that other players couldn't do. You know, his lines are running, his intelligence in the game. He was the full package. And I think when I talk about the physical, could Drico hurt, you know, it's probably, you're not making a big, massive beast on the field, but he was incredibly physical mm. and he loved the collisions and... Another uh, good man to poach. A counter-rooker yeah. and a poacher, yeah, and probably himself and Darcy for Ireland were so effective for a number of years, but um, yeah, full package really, you know, I think, and um, that's, again, pretty self-explanatory. Dan Carter and Justin Marshall in the halfbacks. Yeah, we didn't say much about Nano, but again, he's uh, Nano could have played in the back row or, or as a number eight, and, and longevity uh, as well. Like yeah, and incredible skills too, subtle touch, um, w- would truck it up when he needed to, and, and but also could just put it through the hands. Like um, yeah, Dan Carter and Justin Marshall halfback favouring a few New Zealanders there but Johnny Wilkinson must have come close yeah he did and I stayed away from the from the O'Gara Sexton scenario because again I didn't play against them when they were at the top of their game so obviously I played with Rog Mm. for a long long period and they're worth mentioning because if you were picking particularly in the professional era um, if you were picking you know the greatest fly halves that have played the game I think they they come up and you know Sexton keeps getting better and if you, if you consider those four at the peak of their powers to change the question slightly Wilkinson Sexton O'Gara and Carter see I knew you'd get me uh, <laughs> into this <laughs> you don't make um, it easy Adrian <laughs> no. where would you go what's your order actually I'm not giving you an order but I said I'm I'm still probably leaning with Carter because yeah. of his incredible ability to run with the ball mm. I think he again he was someone when he was really quick um, that when he was at the top of his game you could you could nearly put him on the wing he had incredible acceleration he had an ability to score a lot of tries which maybe the others didn't mm. um, physically an unbelievable specimen and um, you know the, the attacking and the kicking game and everything full package and you think of that line's Performance in Wellington in all five, um, phenomenal, and what he, what, you know, the longevity again. So, all top class players. I went for, I went for Carter scrum half. I had to think of a little bit more about that, and I was always a great fan of of Justin Marshall, even though I wanted to kill him on the field when I played against him, and I played a bit more against him because when he went to Saracens and went to Ospreys, we had a we played against him. I've become great pals with him over the years. He had an arrogance about him and a kind of a cockiness that you love in a scrum half, mm-hmm. that you would love to be playing with him because he just, he he backed his ability and had that swagger as a scrum half. If you're playing against him, you want to clip him and you want to get at him. And uh, But I just think, again, he was he was a running scrum half as well, you know. George Gregan was a, would have been in the mix. Yeah, I would have played against him, um, I think, once or twice. A couple, maybe two or three times, because we played Australia and a couple of my caps um, were you know on tour there and, and, and in Dublin as well. And yeah, I, again, it's leaving someone out like that. Um, 
Mike Phillips kind of came to mind because right. we played against him a lot with Scarlets and Wales and uh, I just think that his physicality and uh, presence as well but I think Marshall kind of was the full package for me um, Let's get into into it uh, in the pack I'm going to scoot through the front row we've Tony Woodcock Keith Wood and Phil Vickery Ibanez might be a few other names that might have come close but Absolutely yeah I put Woody in there because I would have played against Woody for Quinns in 97 yeah. Um when and we, also, when if you met played. him after picking your team, and you hadn't. Yeah, but you could have put you know, <laughs> that too. You know, you could have put a couple of more hookers in there as well. And um, as you say, Ibanez was one that, but steps right up. Again, I don't think any players will be offended by this um, not being selected in Alan Quinlan's best team he played against. Your your short list for the second row, and you can you can announce the winners: uh, Victor Matfield, Backy's Botha, Brad Thorne, Fabian Palouse, Martin Johnson. Yeah, I kind of. There's probably more, but I mean, that's that's. Of course, there is. Um, Alan Wynne Jones. Um, did you say him? I didn't. Uh, ben yeah. Kay. Players who had an impact as well in the time I was. Ben Kay won a World Cup, mm. um, won European Cups, beat us in a European final. Was a brilliant lineout operator. Again, what are you judging on overall play or, or or expertise in their area? He was someone who was ahead of everyone, running a lineout, calling lineouts, um, stealing lineouts. Matfield, you know, he was a genius. He was like Paul, obviously, mm. you know, the way they could run a line out and the impact. Um, Martin Johnson, for what he did, I think, goes in there because um, I just think he was an incredible leader and the impact he had on, on obviously winning a World Cup with England and winning lots of trophies with Leicester. A player as well. that you tried to target when you were playing against him, or you just leave him off to, you don't want to run um, him? Target in a sense, you want to kind of get stuck into him and get in his face, and and uh, but he was tough as he was tough as nails. You know what I mean? Um, he was pure English, mm. if you understand what I mean. Like it was, it was he was incredibly passionate, and he kind of riled you up um, that you wanted to get at him and get in his face and stuff like that. But he was a brilliant player. You know, I I I, I remember the '97 Lions tour going. This guy's as tough as nails, you know, to go there as a young player and um, have the impact he had on winning that series in 97. And again, longevity, you know, probably not the most skillful player in the world. He's not going to be your ball player if he's in the modern game. Uh, but work rate, honesty, passion, um, line-out ability, physicality um, and leadership, you know, he was... It's hard to leave him out. I think if you're picking... Two footballing kind of second rows. You're, you're, you know, you're going. Victor Matfield to leave him out is is really difficult. Yeah. So I and so I went for Backy's boat. I went for two brutes in the second row. <laughs> um, that says a lot about you, Quinny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's but, let's get into the back row. So I'll give some of the options here, and again, there'll be more. But you can pick your. Uh, I should have mentioned Rob Holy at scrum half as well. Oh yeah, Someone yeah, yeah. Who kind of came to my mind as well. He was a brilliant player, incredible for Cardiff, Wales, Lions. Uh, across the back row Richard Hill uh, Serge Betson Rocky Elson Olivia Magna George Smith Richie McCaw Jamie Heaslip Lawrence Delalio it's not a bad lineup. what three have yeah, you got you for? Francois Pienaar out there and, Pienaar yeah um, Jerry Collins right um, did you say Schalke Berger I didn't Aaron Ordecky wow um, Emmanuel Aaron Ordecky what a footballer what a player mm-hmm. um, Francois Pienaar when we played against them in 99-2000 with Munster um, I had his book um, I think I got it the previous year and 
I had to get him to. I wanted him to sign the book <laughs> after the, the game in Thoman Park. I didn't have the confidence to do it over in um, in Vicarage Road uh, when we when we beat them the first time pre Christmas that year. Um, you know, he was an incredible player. I just think the ones that kind of jumped up out and I played against a lot were I, I just thought Richard Hill, um, phenomenal footballer. Mm. You know, phenomenal player. He goes in a blindside. You have him in. Um, Jerome Kano, again, what a player. Um, Lawrence Delalio, I just think I love Lawrence. I love Lawrence with the the passion, mm. the energy. Fellow, you'd love to go out onto the field with. Uh, developed his game a lot to uh, being a great ball carrier and very intelligent player. Um, I think that pass in, in that World Cup final to Jason Robinson in 2002, Delalio was involved in that interlink play. And I remember thinking, God, he's become a, a good footballer now. Um, superb leadership, obviously. Um, and then Richie McCaw at seven. You know, again, self-explanatory. Um, I played against him a couple of times, but when you think you're leaving out someone like Jerry Collins, Jerome Kano, Thierry Dusatoire, Emmanuel Harinardiki, Serge Betson, mm. Schalberger, um, you know, you mentioned Heaslip. I didn't play against Jamie. Probably, I played. Ended up playing with him. Um, I think in that test, that last game that I played against New Zealand, um, I think he was he was playing that day. Um, but you could put more Irish players in there and, and, and argue the, the, the toss with some of them. But um, it's hard to leave some out. And yeah. the reason I kind of went, I just put him in is because I they came to my mind kind of early and, and I played against them. But sure, anybody could pick a team. If you picked a team that your favourite team of the professional era. Um, it, there would be a lot of stars there as well, you yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, yeah it's a hell of a team. team. Queenie, is there a trait that all of them have in common? Like you've mentioned there a few times, not the most skillful, but the the passion and. They're reflective no, I, of your personality, some of them. You see, the other thing is when I played, I loved to throw passes, 20 yard passes, and do cross field kicks, and that probably cost me a few caps. It certainly <laughs> did with Eddie. Eddie O'Sullivan used to be fuming with me, not sticking to game plans and trying the stupid things. And um, But, you know, I like. I think then, Ashley, and I think if fellas, I would like to go out on the field with. That's and what I, I was and getting People from, often yeah. ask me, what do I miss most about the game? Do I miss the buzz? And, you know, having been in New Zealand, would I love to have played? Not necessarily played, but I love the dressing room. The, that adrenaline rush when you're looking around and there's a few fellas in there that you think, I, you wouldn't have to be doing any roaring or shouting with Martin Johnson or Delalio, you know, and um, you can imagine looking across at... at, at Keith Wood or or even Drico or Mananu, um, and thinking, you know, they're going to be kind of getting you well pumped up for this. So Maybe yeah, probably that bit of you know confrontational yeah. style as well. A Quinlan on the bench. Thanks, Millie, for coming in. That was great. I Good to see you again. <laughs> I'd be about the match five day, miles the match day twenty-four. If you ran the bench about five miles outside the stadium, maybe yeah. <laughs>
Thanks, Gwenny. Thanks, William, Pleasure. for coming in. It is uh, gone at quarter past nine. You're watching OTB AM, and we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, packed uh, OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day as well. Here's a bit of a flavour of that. You're going to have uh, the football kickoff live from half past 11 this morning. Ger, Phil, and David Connolly uh, this morning. Emmanuel Petit on OTB Gold from one. Uh, Kilkenny's Mount Rushmore at three o'clock today. Pat Fenlon is the uh, Team 33 interview at four. And the Life and Times of Johnny Kilban at uh, six o'clock. You can follow across all of our social channels. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, don't forget to hit like and subscribe as well. And as well, download the OTP Sports app for the latest and best in sports content and analysis. Back after this uh, upcoming break with the Athletics' Dominic Fifield on what's been a significant uh, week of change at Chelsea. OTB AM. Dominic Fifield of The Athletic is on the line. Morning, Dominic. Good morning, how are you doing? Good, and thanks for your patience there. We were deep in uh, conversation about the rugby, but back to the football with us. A lot of chat about uh, the shortlist at Chelsea during the week after Tuchel walked the plank, uh, but it was decisive, swift and uh, successful, obviously, in the end. And the shortlist seemed to have, I mean, maybe slightly more than one name on it, but one very clear uh, outcome that they wanted. Yeah, it sounds as if they've... They earmarked Graham Potter as as a, their their preferred choice to take the club forward for a, for a while. To be honest, and I imagine that the other names on the shortlist were there as, as a safety net, really, just in case Potter had second thoughts or or they they they, they couldn't agree a, a deal with Brighton. But the, the the existence of the the release clause made that a formality, really. Uh, yeah, he's in situ um, and taking training today, Friday. Um, I imagine, I know obviously everything's a bit up in the air at the moment over mm. here in terms of whether the games will be played, but but if he doesn't play this weekend at Fulham on Saturday lunchtime, then his first game will presumably be the Salzburg match in, on Wednesday. I, I would very much doubt the Liverpool fixture will take place the following weekend. And in some strange ways, look, I mean, obviously it might sound inappropriate to say it, but a, a few days... Um, grace for him to try and work with the players on the training ground and get some of his ideas across to them after that Salzburg game before they all disappear off for international duty might be a bit of a blessing for, for Graham Potter. Yeah, I'm sure quietly that's uh, that's definitely in the in the front of his mind. Probably the we're obviously still getting to know and reading pieces, including on the Athletic, about like the how the new owners are going to run the club and the types of owners that they are. Like the appointment uh, happened so quickly in the end, and the call went into the Brighton owners very quickly after uh, Tuchel had gone. It seems. Um, mm-hmm. I guess when you're approaching somebody at a less uh, heralded a club with a less heralded profile and a manager who's less heralded in the sense that he doesn't have the enormous profile maybe as some of the other names that were mentioned there's some confidence on the owner's part that well we're going to be able to get this done either way Yes although I, I, I guess Graham Potter would have need needed assurances that that Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital are thinking long term that Chelsea under the previous regime, we, we all know, I've spoken to you guys about it before in the past, I mean, they were higher on fire. They, The first blip that a manager or head coach encountered, whether that be four games or six games, um, that was pretty much the end of the road for the for the man in charge. Um, there were a few sort of lingering departures. I think virtually all the Italians, bar Roberto Di Matteo, saw out a season knowing that they were going to get replaced in the summer. But, you know, generally speaking, once you had a blip and you you lost the dressing room or you, you lost your way or indeed Champions League football qualification was, was threatened, you, you were out the door. Um, that reputation is, it has been has now extended into this new ownership because, you know, at first glance, 
you look at what's happened in this last week and, and, and Chelsea's new owners have sacked a manager after seven matches. Uh, actually, uh, they would argue that they want someone in place they feel they can work with and they can work with for the long long, ter- um, long term. Um, and once they assured Graham Potter that that's what they want to do and they, they said to him, look, that you will be given time and we will be patient and we don't expect you to sort of revolutionise the way Chelsea are playing um, overnight. Uh, we don't expect you to be winning the Premier League title. I imagine that this season, I, I, I'm pretty sure that conversation must have happened. Um, I think he was probably reassured, and, and that's that's a decisive factor in him coming to, to Chelsea because he doesn't. From his point of view, this is an opportunity, a massive opportunity for him to to make his mark at an elite club. These opportunities come very, very rarely. They come even well to, for young English coaches, even rarer still. So. He, he sort of he would have looked at it and thought, "Can I make this my project? Can I? Will I be given the leeway here to to do what I've done at Brighton?" Um, his revolution at Brighton was not overnight. They finished fifteenth in his first season, sixteenth in his second season. So there were there were even last year when they finished ninth, their, their highest ever finish. There was a period, I think, of eleven games in the middle of the season where they didn't win a match. I think they lost five on the bounce in the spring. There were periods where the home supporters of the Amex were booing. You know, this is, and that's a finish season they finished ninth. So, but Brighton treated him, they, they gave him that opportunity, that leeway, that time, and, and the patience to, to build. And, you know, the, the way they've been playing football this season is, is really a result of, you know, over three years' hard work. Yeah, it's been so impressive what he's done at Brighton and I think that is what they want him to do at Chelsea. Like a five-year contract is quite a long time but they want him maybe to to build even the structures, the ethos within the club. You know, they talked about all of this so it seems like it's a complete rebuilding job almost. Well, it is. I mean, it's... And that's to be expected because of the unique scenario and situation at Chelsea really since March... Um, we shouldn't forget the trauma at that club, really, from March time. And Thomas Tuchel actually was the man who carried that that team through, carried the weight of of of, of all of that on his shoulders, and was the public face of of Chelsea under sanction. Um, we didn't hear much from any of the members of the hierarchy at the time of anything at all. Um, and he deserves credit for that. But but the sense of trauma it's, it's akin, really, to a club in administration. You know, they, they, the players have, have have really played through uncertainty for a, for a period of time. Not as long as some clubs have gone endured, but but for three months it, it was it, things looked a bit dicey, things looked a bit precarious. Then this takeover is rushed through. People are coming in into the club, uh, and on the one hand, they want to make it their own. They want to establish it. This is our club now. This is Bowley Clear Lakes Club. It's not Abramovich's anymore, and they want to break from the past so it's no surprise in, in that context that Marina Granovskaya Petr Cech Bruce Buck etc Guy Lawrence they, they all leave um, but on the other hand these guys, these guys are learning on the hoof they, they, they don't know how to run a Premier League football club um, they're, they're learning as they go along and um, I think that has that created its own issues over the summer not least on the, in the transfer market and that's one of the complaints that that Tuchel definitely had um, towards the end, and and definitely contributed to the the fracture in relationships and communication at the top of that club. Um, but now they're in a position where 
Okay, they don't have a technical director in place, although they they want to you know remedy that by the by the certainly by the World Cup and the and the next transfer window. Um, but they they really are shaping it in their as as they want it to be now. They they have a their own man at the top who they feel they can work with, and they clearly over a hundred days realised that they couldn't work with Thomas Tuchel. Um, so their their own coach on a long term contract with a long term vision. Um, they will bring in that sporting director to guide them through the the next transfer window and to instigate the the philosophy change and and to long term plan etc etc and I think actually when you look at certainly Bowley's other sporting interests LA, the LA Dodgers I mean he hasn't been a hire and fire owner um, okay he's, he owns I think it's twenty percent through Guggenheim over there but but he's he's not somebody that wants to tear it up in the way that Abramovich did every time everything went wrong. He he wants long-term planning. He wants stability. And Clear Lake Capital is... I mean, they're, they're in this, ultimately, I imagine, to make profit. And look at the amount of compensation paid out over the Abramovich era and the losses made there. They don't want to be spending £250 million every transfer window to revamp the squad. They need some kind of long-term strategy and approach that will allow them to be sustainable. This is the best way of doing it. And the, the only... The only surprise of it all is the timing after seven games. I mean, that's 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 the thing. I mean, you, you look at it and wonder whether this could have been, this change could have been made in the summer. But maybe these guys just had to learn over a period of time that they weren't going to be able to work together. Yeah, it did look it did look like as if the writing was on the wall. Some of the stuff that's emerged, I was reading some stuff in the Athletic yesterday about uh, them saying internally that uh, Tuchel was a nightmare to deal with around um, transfers, particularly, which um, it doesn't seem like a, a most amazing working environment. Just on on um, Ashley mentioned earlier on just about the the methods I think of um, Potter and the stuff that he's become known for at building up that Brighton side. How does that play out now with like it's different to do that with Pascal Gross than it is with. It's not they're not like a squad of Galacticos, but they are a step up in in quality. So how does that work for him, Dominic, in your view, in terms of trying to get make players better, I guess, which is the ultimate acid test of any manager? Well, when I, I'm actually writing a piece on this um, at, at the moment for, for next week, and, and I initially thought this is going to be bloody difficult for, for Graham Potter because he's between now and uh, you know when when the appointment was made between now and the world cup chelsea play every midweek there isn't a there isn't a break for him to to train and you'd imagine that all the things that he wants to do whether that, whether that be player flexibility structure of a team positioning on a pitch uh, that is done by drumming it in over and over and over again incessantly on the training ground and he's simply not going to have that opportunity because they won't they, they'll be it'll be match recovery session preparational session Recovery, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, from now until the end of time, pretty much. Um, so I, that, I, I envisage that it would be a real problem for him. But, but speaking to a couple of people last night um, who have worked with him and worked with him at Brighton and Swansea, etc., their attitude was well, well, he instigated almost cultural change, certainly at Brighton, from from uh, the, the previous regime to. To his, they went. It was chalk and cheese. It was, it was direct football. It was very defensive football, um, becoming uh, more expansive and, and attack-minded and progressive. Um, he's not having to make that same level of change at Chelsea. Um, these guys are better quality players. They're, they're, there's more pedigree in this in this Chelsea team, even amongst the younger players in the Chelsea squad. Um, for them, I, I I wouldn't have thought that. 
a lot of the techniques that he will introduce in the few training sessions he has will will, will be a shock. They won't be a shock to the to the system. They'll 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 adapt to them very simply and very quickly. I would have thought, and and they'll be able to take it all on board much quicker than maybe than the than they did down at Brighton when he when he went there in 2019. So I, I'm not. I'm not sure it will be quite um, as much upheaval as it, as it was at his previous clubs. It should adapt quicker. The, the thing that he's got to deal with most of all, I mean, certainly get yeah, egos in the dressing room. I mean, mm. people like Thiago Silva, Koulibaly, Obama Young, etc. He's 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 never dealt with this caliber of player, people with lofty reputations, and he's going to have to to do that. But we're told that his communication skills are one of his fortes. So I mean, it's I I, I, I imagine that he he will actually relish the chance to work with people like this. Um, the other thing is the pressure. Um, it's he's he's it's a very competitive Premier League this season at both ends of the table. Um, he he needs Chelsea needs to be qualifying for the Champions League. I mean that that's that will remain the bare minimum that that any Chelsea ownership I, I suspect will um, will will expect. Um, not least after spending all that money in the summer as well. So you know if there are blips and bumps along the along the road. He, he's going to have to recover quickly. He's going to have to, you know, pick pick chins up, make make sure that the the players are are recovered and and can focus again to ensure that they that they do finish in that top four place. And that maybe is a different level level of pressure than than he's been used to in the past. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out over the coming months. Dominic, thanks, William. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dominic Fifield of The Athletic, uh, talking all things uh, Chelsea and Graham Potter specifically. Uh, it is 39.32 on this uh, Friday morning and Ashling the uh, club uh, GA chat, which is beginning to heat up a bit. What should we be keeping an eye out for this weekend? Yeah, there is. There's our, our card. a lot of uh, games across the weekend, lots to look forward to, um, just to pick out maybe two or three. So there's a local derby. It's Cross McGlen uh, versus Silver Bridge. This is in Armagh. This is just a round one now, but it's a really big game to pick out it's on actually live on TG Carter on Sunday at 4 o'clock you can tune into that there's a young team in Silverbridge the likes of Gerald Burns will play with them and then of course we know across McGlen Rion and Oshin O'Neill James Morgan Jamie Clark so yeah I definitely tune into that one um, another one that I'd look out for maybe even the streams are, are live on clubber.ie it's called um, so you can get the Kerry Senior Championship on that um, and there's round one in that as well so you've also Austin Stacks versus Tralee that's at 8pm tonight and it's live at Austin Stacks Park as well if you wanted to head along and also uh, Temple No uh, versus South Kerry that's at 3.45 in Fitzgerald Stadium on Sunday so yeah massive game there if you want to see some of the the All-Ireland champions in action Um, one to watch out for then as well so we have the the Waterford hurling final of course Ballygunner versus Mount Sign that's probably the one of the weekend the game of the weekend I would say Um, there'll be plenty of chatter on the stands as well Dan Shannon has uh, announced his retirement from uh, club hurling that's right just, yeah, uh, yeah, this yeah. morning so the exit sure from the club championship about that, yeah, down the yeah 45 years it's incredible today. isn't it unbelievable like uh, what a player yeah unbelievable so Ballygunner of course reigning All-Ireland senior champions um, the likes of Desi Hutchinson the main man there so uh, that'll be a good game of course um, sign. you have the likes of Austin Gleeson in there so that is live in TG Carrot at 2pm on Sunday and then as well um, in the, the women's there's probably the pick out of that I would say is in Armagh this weekend you have uh, the quarterfinals of the senior t- senior taking place um, so yeah I would tune in for that uh, there's some really brilliant games across there as well Alright uh, thanks a million for that 
Rashling, fair play. And that is pretty much it uh, from us for this morning. It is uh, 25 to 10. It's been an enjoyable last couple of hours. Uh, we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back on Monday morning from half past seven. It'll be Jaron Nathan and they'll be here to take us through the uh, Gillette Labs performance rankings, uh, depending, of course, what happens uh, with sport at the weekend. It might just be mm-hmm. everything is sitting in the orange. <laughs> There's nothing. We'll have the, with the club GA will be all over it, actually. That's, that's, what's, that's what's The club going GA is going ahead. That's the for spotlight. sure. Exactly, yeah. We're going to have Mark Lawrenson and Martin Lipton on the line to hopefully talk about all of that. We'll be joined at the studio by Jenny Claffey as well, a reasoned voice on tennis to talk about the uh, US Open final. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.